You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? West Dead Air Nipe here with always typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1983 classic, The Entity, a film the Village Voice called A Thundering, Thoroughly Discombobulating Nightmare. Which means nothing. It's like they didn't have anything to say about it. A white knuckle thrill ride. It couldn't be a white knuckle thrill ride. It is a right white knuckle thrill ride, but like it's like they didn't want to say like rape ghosts are fucking scary, man. They are scary. Uh, that is for certain. The entity we've talked about in the show before, and we've talked about the entity when we were given a question. I'm gonna say almost two years ago about our origin point. What was the first horror films that we ever saw? Um, mine being Warlock, and you talked about the entity. You talked about being a little chibi Lydia. I was a little chibi Lydia. I'm still a little chibi Lydia. Who are we kidding? But yeah, (laughs) I was shorter and animated poorly. (laughs) Stubby legs and arms, big head. Yeah. Cried a lot. (laughs) Cried a lot. Just solid streams of water. Yeah. Pretty much nosebleeds too. It was great. Actually, that's pretty much me in a nutshell when I was a kid. Nosebleeds constantly and short. (laughs) yeah and still watching it today there's scenes that i saw when i was like i don't know probably five or six Mm -hmm. that i still remember that clearly and listening and watching to this film guys you could imagine a little kid being woken up by these sounds in this film seven minutes in was when i was woken up when the lead actress is first attacked And watch this movie if you're not familiar with it and just pay attention to that very first time that you get sat back white knuckled in your seat and picture a little tiny kid waking up and coming up to see what mom's watching and and seeing that. And later on, uh, another attack where her son is thrown and there's a part where the son's trying to get back up where the actor had actually broken his arm. And I still remember that. My mom put me back to bed right at that when that scene was still playing in the background and i kept asking her what happened what happened to that guy in the movie and she said it's okay he just broke his arm (laughs) it's like it's okay he just broke his arm and put me back to bed but i i remember those scenes so clearly as scarred for life and all the horror films that came after it it all starts here really informs a lot about your taste in horror because there's a lot of things in this film that I know that you love yeah. in horror movies. Yeah. It's what worked. You know, and that's uh, like so many people complain that horror movies don't scare them anymore. Well, give them a chance, you know, find ones that do. Mm-hmm. Hinge on to those things that make you uncomfortable. Don't just digest horror movies constantly that don't scare you. What is the point of that? Mm-hmm. The point of horror is to make you think and scare you. Mm-hmm. Make you worry at the very mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie fucking worries me. Yeah, it's very, very harrowing. I mean, everything from Barbara Hershey's exquisite performance in this movie to the score that that bludgeons that menace into you in sickening rhythm to what's happening. 
yeah, to this woman. Very, very well timed, unfortunately, and it does a lot to uh, describe what's going on to your imagination. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. slash fortunately, and probably the seeds of the future industrial music fan that I became. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Before we get into the movie, we have um, a question that we wanted to be a, we wanted addressed on the show. If you are interested in sending us questions, asking us about anything that you want via ho- about horror movies, uh, feel free to just message me at uh, West Dead Air Nipe on Twitter. Yeah, at West Dead Air Nipe, and you can find him on Instagram too. <laughs> at Dead underscore Air eighty three, where we were asked, "What is the most money you have spent on a horror movie that disappointed you, and what was the movie?" I answered on Twitter because I'm lazy like that, and it was definitely Green Inferno for eight bucks. Eight dollars? Yeah, I know. It's not a dig at the Mayfair because I love going to the Mayfair, and I would have, I will, I will watch whatever shit. You know, I. It's not about how much I paid for it at that point at all as a member of Mayfair Theater. It's that I didn't like the fucking Green Inferno, and I don't spend a lot of money on movies really, and I'm pretty picky i don't really buy plastic and i'll vod something so if i vod something that is garbage i just don't worry about it it doesn't really i've never paid maybe more than eight dollars for something on vod anyway and i've certainly never purchased something vod that i didn't like so yeah it doesn't really work for me unfortunately because i'm not a collector but that question is great to pose to a collector mm-hmm. do you know what I, mean? I do know a handful of collectors i do and i do know people that have spent more than eight fucking dollars on a movie eight dollars jesus please i remember you saying to me once wes if i may you know (laughs) divulge the real wes sure the real wes said to lydia once if it's under 10 bucks it's basically free yeah basically It is, in my opinion. If some if a movie costs me less than ten dollars, I practically found it on the road. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I'm quite good at finding films for under ten dollars, uh, especially when we have uh, great resources like Turning Point. Uh, now that we know of, that we can get Turning Point or <clears throat> scouring the bins. I scour the bins because I'm a miserly <clears throat> Scrooge bitch. Mm-hmm. A, a good bulk of my uh, film collection came from cheapo bins in various stores, uh, even uh, my own day job, right? I can get cheapo movies there all the time, and, and there's always a bunch kind of sitting in there. I mean, if I did, sometimes I'm thinking, wow, if I didn't already have these movies, this would be a fucking sweet deal, because in these huge boxes, there's all kinds of horror movies that no one's fucking buying, and it, it costs $5 or $2. Like, who cares? Just buy it. But... That being said, my collection does have some rather expensive films in it. Um, expensive either because that's just the price tag on the the set that you get for these deluxe versions, or expensive because I've bought out of print films to have the most completed version or whatever. The reason why this question is difficult to me is because if we want to talk about the most I've ever spent on a horror movie, uh, I don't really want to talk about it because it's kind of embarrassing. No, see, and I wouldn't ask that question of you or Chris because, like, Chris from Brian Torture Cast has a decent horror collection. He had had a far larger collection and the price tag on some of those things, that's that's your personal Mm -hmm. fucking... Deal. I, I will say that there was one instance where I had kind of buyer's remorse, but not instantaneously, but it did really 
teach me uh, at a fairly young age to be patient with my money because sometimes something else will come along that is a more cost-effective option. Uh, that example always is what I spent on a Korean version of Battle Royale that had English subtitles on it yeah. versus waiting a little bit. And then it eventually, finally, after almost 15 years... 15 years is a wait. The, the, the cost, I think, of your initial purchase was well worth that. Because mm -hmm. 15 years. Yeah, 15 years almost until... We could get Battle Royale on a really nice Blu-ray uh, set. And I got that. Uh, like, I got the Blu-ray after I bought it. I still have my old Korean version. It was expensive, guys. It was real expensive. Uh, Zombie 2, one of my famous films, uh, one of my favorite films. I got the Blue Underground version when that was out of print. Kind of pricey, but I spent it. But probably... And up there also, uh, Vampire. But those are all things that you liked. You know exactly. what I mean? Like I, I spent thirty-eight. Me spent thirty-eight dollars. Thirty-eight dollars on a, on a import of Wicked City mm -hmm. because I love that movie and, yeah. A one time I, uh, I remember, and it's funnier when I say that I spent a lot of money on these things. You guys understand that, like I've spent some of my most expensive movies. You're like, oh yeah, he bought that when he had a lot of disposable income. Mm -mm. No. I bought a seventy-five to eighty-dollar Criterion Collection version of the 1932's Vampire when I did not fucking have that kind of money to spend on it, but I wanted it so damn bad. But in terms of buying a movie and then being disappointed with it to the point where I was like, "Fuck, I wish I didn't spend that money." Almost Blood Widow. Almost. Oh, well, that doesn't count. Why doesn't that count? It doesn't count because it did redeem itself, and we did on the show, so it's all worth it for you guys. It is. It is. And that's the but other halfway thing. through the text you were sending me was that sort of remorse. Where I was just like, I can't believe, and it, that was only twenty dollars. But I, I suppose if you're thinking about it in terms of of watching a film and then thinking, oh, I'll never watch that again. Fuck, like, what should I say? Like, I honestly wish I had my collection in front of me right now so I could kind of look and be like, mm, I didn't really like that. Dark Reel, you know that movie? Nope. Yeah, like, oh, I've got one, though. Upside oh. Down Cross. Yeah. I <laughs> had purchased recently the William Hellfire Upside Down Cross. Not that recently, but uh, I don't even remember what I paid for it, but it was more than like two bucks, right? Which mm -hmm. is about what, in my opinion, it's worth. Um, yeah, and, and even some of uh, like uh, my, uh, my Japanese grindhouse films, sometimes I've bought a couple of those and not really been thrilled with it like robo geisha like i don't love that movie you're insane uh i'm not insane uh too much cgi i don't like it but i think that uh, a vampire girl versus frankenstein girl i, I watched that and i, I kind of get the feeling i'll probably never watch this again so it kind of just sits on my shelf as it's there maybe if we ever want to do it for the show it'll be there we can talk about it but i and that's kind of how i redeem it a little bit because even movies where i think oh that's kind of a yeah. For all I know, that could be the best episode of Dead Air that has yet to happen. Better if you are a collector and you're collecting Japanese Grindhouse. Whether you liked it or not doesn't really enter the equation because you kind of are being a completionist when yeah. it comes to that, right? Yeah. Um, I guess, I, here, here you are dragging answers out of me. Um, the Walking Woman is a film by Edward Lee, who is one of my favorite horror authors. I would aspire to be half as fucking sick and amazing and as good a writer and as prolific as Edward Lee someday. Um, the movie's not good. Mm -hmm. I didn't... Yeah, if it was by anyone else, I would 
probably have not bought it or have been disappointed, but it's part of my Edward Lee collection. Um, recently, the most recent film that I bought where I thought, eh, this is not great. I was going to uh, bite on Grave Halloween, which was a, a sci-fi film that was on television and then they put it on a blue and I bought that and I was like, yeah, whatever. I didn't expect that it was going to be all that great, but I just wanted to get it because it was about the suicide forest. But I will tell you, I bought uh, The Forest ah. and I do not really like that movie. I find it quite lame. I don't know anyone that does. That's really weird. I don't know one person that enjoyed <clears throat> that film. I think that like it had an interesting idea, but under the backdrop of this incredibly creepy idea of this forest it's wasted it's completely wasted wasted in a way that really irritated me yeah. and so i watched it and i was like eh, it's fine i guess but but i it's definitely one of those things where i bought a brand new movie on blu-ray and i probably will never watch it again and if i ever lend it to somebody and they don't give it back i probably won't give a shit that's like that and as above so below apparently suffer from that exact same problem i haven't seen either of them yet someday i Maybe. i i think above so below is not that bad i think the forest is a is a markedly uh, markedly worse film yeah. but i could definitely see again that also has a bit of wasted potential but i thought it's still fine it's just the forest is so just generic. Yeah. It didn't have to be there. It could have been anywhere. Yeah. And they they put it under this backdrop. And I, I would rather have just watched a documentary about this forest. There's a great one by Vice on mm -hmm. YouTube. Yeah. 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 And which I've seen. And and so I was hoping, I was hoping that we would delve more deeply into the cultural implications of what this suicide forest really represents. No, it's it's twin shit. It's a weird ending. I'm like, ugh, it's not good. And and it's like the Parent Trap, where one actor is playing the tw the same the, the twins. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's not even real twins. And I was just like, good god, Parent Trap. So I think it's something more recent, but <laughs> I I can't think of. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose the Parent Trap remake. The Parent Trap remake. <laughs> we're going to get into remakes. We have a second question from Thomas that we're going to throw at the end of this because mm -hmm. the remake angle figures into the entity. And there's a question about remakes that we're going to answer later on as well when we got talking about remakes. Because I didn't really want to start off talking about remaking this film before we get into yeah. how we feel about it and what we saw and what we enjoyed and the things that we do here on Dead Air. <laughs> Like, talk about rape ghosts all day long. Uh, yes, if you want to be reductive, rape ghosts. I can't help it but be reductive with this film. And I think that the, the way that I love horror movies, and I like a lot of really silly horror movies and a lot of campy and gory movies, that when people would hear me talk about how much I love the entity, the rape ghost movie, that they might go into it thinking that it's going to be, like, crazy, gory fun. And it's fucking not. There's not one ounce of fun in this fucking movie whatsoever. So I think it might be a funny trick if I ever had someone, you know, I posited, like, let's watch my favorite rape ghost movie. Probably the only rape ghost movie. And they sat down in front of it, and they'd be sorely disappointed that it's drop-dead serious and not fun at all. I don't know. If you were telling me about a, a movie where a woman is repeatedly sexually assaulted by uh, a ghost... 
I don't think that's a funny concept at all. Like Maybe that's I, my idea of fun. The, I'm sorry. <laughs> like I, I, I would immediately think it was a serious movie. Hmm. Okay. This is where we differ. <laughs> this is definitely where we differ. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing this um, concept because I've never seen a rape ghost film. There's poltergeist films where there's mischievous spirits and stuff. And there's like rape revenge films or films that have a lot of rape in them that are harrowing and dark and horrible Mm -hmm. and sometimes very gory and then we get into the the actual torture porn sort of genre um to see those sorts of things blended to have like a huge what i'm picturing like this huge danzig ghost that can like materialize and does target women like that would be a pretty interesting horror movie but without any social commentary that would just be straight up gore for the sake of gore and horror for the sake of horror this film does live in the realm of social commentary although it is a true story Mm -hmm. so it's very that's kind of a strange one to me if it hadn't been based on a true story it would just be an allegory for domestic abuse yes but it is based on a true story it is it's probably one of the craziest horror movies based on a true story. And if you were to to uh, if you were to preemptively tell people the plot of this film, have them sit down and watch it, and then say it was based off of a true story, they might even just roll your eyes uh, their eyes at you. Or when they get to the 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 crawl at the end, explaining the the true story and how um, you know this experience was supposedly legitimate people might roll their eyes at that because it does seem so fantastic like many horror films based on a true story there are elements of fiction within this because you need to kind of break the back of this story and then turn it into a story that functions as drama but the differences seem to be fairly isolated towards the end and isolated is a good word to use thank you yeah the the ghost trap is didn't happen in real life mm-hmm. uh, one of the it's a cool element of the story and it's it's the way that that all came about with the author frank defolita which who also did the screenplay he wrote the book and the screenplay and he was there for some of this he hung out with doris Byther, who is the real name of the girl who the story is based on Mm-hmm. The the woman who was actually raped by an entity repeatedly, he spent a lot of time with her, spent a lot of time with the two investigators, the paranormal investigators, and probably her psychologist and her ex-boyfriend and her kids. And like he was very, very close with the family. So his fictionalized portions didn't come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, really interesting way that this came about from the true story. And it's very, very close extremely close to the true story everyone involved who's been interviewed since does say that that's exactly how it happened mm-hmm. sure there's some cg sort of um and yeah there is a very highly fictionalized thing that just didn't happen but they're all very open about what portion didn't happen and what how it would have looked different in real life and there's images that you can look at you can look up the real doris by their case you can Listen to old Coast to Coast AM from the early 90s, late 90s, where they interview the psychologists. There's plenty of information about the real true case. It's a lot like the Amityville story that way, Mm -hmm. where there's lots. But it's unlike the Amityville story 
where there isn't so much discrepancies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Xavier Ortega is a guy writing a book about this, the real entity case. So I'm hoping that that book does come out and shed a little bit of light on the things that were questionable in the story. And there's not as many of them as there is with the Amityville story. And people aren't contradicting one another. People pretty much agree on what happened to Doris and what they saw with their own eyes, right? So yeah, really one of the more deeply fascinating ghost stories, real parapsychology accounts, like one of the true parapsychology cases that was turned into a book and film. It's just crazy to me that it's not any more popular. Is it because it's about rape? I think that it's not so much about the subject matter, although the subject matter is very dark. I think that it really has something to do with the time in which it was released. I think that films coming out in the, in the early 1980s, uh, again, we can talk about the Reagan era of horror, but we don't need to. But here's a perfect example of a film that came out uh, in the early 80s that is serious as a heart attack. And I just think that it was shuffled underneath po- like piles of Freddy's and Jason's and, and pinheads. And and that's, that's sometimes that's what happens. I don't think people have forgotten this film, but I do think that for the most part, when people are talking about classic haunting stories, they genuinely like to stay within the realm of the late 1950s to the 1960s. There's a spattering from the 1970s of really uh, pronounced uh, uh, haunting films and possession films, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in the 1980s, it kind of fell out of favor. And then not until this fairly like obviously spattering in the 90s because the 90s is such a hodgepodge of of different genres of horror but now haunting stories are back in a big bad way and they've been sticking around for a decade uh and and repeatedly time and time again they're the things that make big box office noise because of the relatively inexpensive and the general public loves them so i think that it, it, like I'm not surprised that there was talks of remakes. Um, and yeah, from 2004 until now, still. Yeah, yeah. But I submit that this could get like re-released into theaters, and I don't think there's anything in it that would make someone roll their eyes and say, "Oh, this is old." Except for maybe the fact that there's a lot of smoking going on indoors. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing in it that makes me think, "Oh my god, this is so 80s." Like no one's fucking swooping in with like a piano key tie and a Rubik's cube and on a skateboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of the hairstyles are contemporary. Their style of dress is timeless. The score, you know, um, pretty happy that driving synth scores have become back in vogue because mm-hmm. that doesn't really date it either where maybe in the early 90s people would, would have hinged on that and it wouldn't have said it would have screamed 80s horror film where now it's contemporary all over again right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it definitely everything does fit except like you said the smoking indoors and maybe a little bit of the attitude of some of the men but we still have like old guard holdovers that wouldn't see anything wrong with the way that a couple of these men behave Uh, especially nowadays is uh coming uh into chilling illumination yeah um but I think that the entity just suffers from the time in which it was released. It wasn't an unsuccessful film. Yeah, it doubled its box office or so, yeah. something like made, that. Made a tiny little profit, and then we're moving on. That's just how it was in those days. Yeah. Um, I don't, and I think that um, 
if it wasn't overshadowed by a couple of other films of the decade, it could be up there with, oh, this is like The Exorcist of the 1980s, right? Just like a very serious, powerful, more serious than The Exorcist, honestly, but Mm -hmm. um, a film about a haunting straight up and proper. And it has all of the earmarks that people who love things nowadays like The Conjuring or or uh, Insidious. It's got your your paranormal experts. It's got it's got fucking people like set like filming the house, setting things up. Like it's got it's got basically got a version of Lynn Shay, Specs and Tucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah almost yeah. exactly. Yeah, and 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 it's and it seems quite deliberate that at the very least the people making these films nowadays are very much aware of this movie. Yeah. But I think the general audience just isn't anymore, which is a real shame. But I think that horror fans are definitely aware of this film. But what I would like to see is the general public be reintroduced into this film. And yes, this sexual assault is an ugly subject, but horror tackles ugly subjects. And holy fuck, is this not interesting? Right? Especially with the angles of that it was based on a true story. It serves as an amazing social commentary. It's not shy about what it's representing. She is raped repeatedly by a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the actions that she takes, which I'll get into as we talk about the film, are very contemporary, realistic, and sort of timeless as far as how a woman would and maybe should respond to this sort of violence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. as as many as many times as i do joke about rape ghosts and stuff like that because uh it is an interesting thing for me to joke about I've, I've made really 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 not regrettable but if i were another person they'd be regrettable jokes about rape ghosts in my time and entities and stuff um but just quite seriously if anyone is ever being treated this way by a ghost or a human being they should go directly to the police really honestly truly mm-hmm so before I make any more horrible rape ghost jokes, <laughs> I think that your humor, I think uh, hopefully our listeners know you well enough at this point to know where you're coming from. And I think that, um, well, at least we're not talking about corpse fucking. Not this time. <laughs> not this time. But that would be an interesting angle. Entity two. She's dead now. Dire spider, right? Maybe I'm going to start writing that anyway on kettle whistle radio. So 118, me and Dave Fair had talked about this movie before. Back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. When dinosaurs roamed the earth. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't, no. But it was a really awesome conversation. And that was one of the things that Dave said. He's like, it's not that popular of a movie. Yeah, it's not that popular of a book. A lot of people, it's just not on top of mind whatsoever. But he's like, every time I mention it or if someone seems to be buying it or whatever, they know immediately the film they have definitely seen it and they say oh god that's a good one Mm -hmm. everyone who has seen it does hold it in a very high respect but maybe it is partially the subject matter that makes it not that shareable amongst the more polite individuals it's true it it, it, it's hard sometimes to want to sit down and watch a film like this be even if your friends are into ghosts and horror movies and all that kind of stuff there's always one person, right? Mm-hmm. There, you're always within mixed company. You always have to be aware. There's some people that th- this subject matter, for very legitimate reasons, I mean, it's, it's all legitimate reasons, but like uh, hurts them to see. So, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's hard to share sometimes and it's hard to talk about. And, and, I, but I think what needs to be emphasized about this film 
is that nothing is salacious. Nothing is exploitative. It is, it is very matter of fact. This is what happened. This was the story that everything was based on. And it's, and I mean, yeah, there's like nudity and stuff like that. Well, there's tits. And like you pointed out, it's right in the title, baby. It is. So there's one shot that I feel is very unnecessary, but I guess that we're kind of dealing with the, the, the product of the times. Considering Barbara Hershey's figure, I think it was necessary. I'm so sorry, but she, look, she is she, a wonderful. Figure. She she is a beautiful woman, a distractingly beautiful woman. Well, if you watch something like The Swan, she's in Falling Down too. She's on uh, current uh, episodes of Damien, the TV show. Apparently, mm. I've never yeah. watched it, I've but she's on that. Uh, she's in Insidious. You yeah. know, she's still a beautiful woman, and at the time, she was drop dead gorgeous. You yeah. know, she. Uh, as a wonderful figure, a really good choice for this film, mm-hmm. and apparently didn't look dissimilar from the Doris Bider that this is based mm-hmm. on either. Mm-hmm. Which is well, we great. got to see a couple of photos from a little short documentary that was on the DVD that we got to watch before the movie. I thought it was actually rather fascinating. Yeah. So if you guys pick up the DVD, there's actually a really cool uh, little doc on it that give you a lot of background information about the true story, yeah, which I quite enjoyed. The original parapsychologist. Yeah. Yeah. One of the original parks, one of the two, which is very, very cool. And there's a, there's almost like not a twist, but there's like a, a watershed moment in this film that is so awkward and you can't write this shit, right? It wouldn't be believable. And it would be an eye roll worthy moment where this fiction where she walks into a bookstore once people around her finally believe that this is a paranormal disturbance and it's not all in her head. And if it is, then it's some sort of poltergeist activity She's looking at occult books and she hears two parapsychologists talking about how you can't have like a physical manifestation and things moving in the room at the same time. And she says, yeah, you can. Or you can't have it touch you and be moving things in the room or whatever. Um, So she meets these parapsychologists because she overhears them talking in a bookstore, which seems so out of left field. But I know that's how it happened. Yeah, I think anybody watching this movie would sit back in the chair and be like, come the fuck on, really? Yeah. That's too much of a coincidence. Well, real life is stranger than fiction. That is exactly how it reportedly went down. Yeah, yeah. What a crazy story. Yeah. When you think about it. Yeah. And there is a bit of serendipity in this movie that that can be hard to swallow, but I think the fact that we know... That's why I like the fact that I got to watch the documentary before we watched it. Yeah. Because then I knew... That it happened, so I didn't have that moment that I would be saying to myself, "Oh, that's kind of a pretty big coincidence." It's one thing to know that this happened, and it's another thing to know entirely that beat by beat this is accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even things like we we're talking about. Um, in case you didn't get it, we we're talking about Barbara Hershey's tits and how you see some really nice shots of it. There's a couple of these like bookend things where you get a, a shot of a very beautiful, pure naked or not naked woman just a very a beautiful woman a beautiful example of a very beautiful woman in the prime of her womanhood and it's slammed up against this woman being brutalized and raped and it's it's somewhat graphic it's not graphic like porn but it's graphic yeah and you know exactly what's fucking going on and it's brutal and terrifying and painful and horrible and they're usually seconds apart these images but not like you said 
salacious. It's not oversexed whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Just like the brutality of the rapes aren't, you know, over horrified or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and tit is in the title. You can't spell entity without titty. You can't. You can't. Yeah. These some effects that were used in this, um, where she's being manipulated by the ghost, and you see some breast action. No pun intended, because the breasts are actually being like activated. Mm-hmm. There's a police report that in the Kettle Whistle Radio episode Dave had read that is almost like word for word portions of the script later on where her boyfriend saw her being touched by the ghost and could see fingerprints being placed, but no fingers on her breasts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they can't shy away from stuff like that. No, no. Yeah. It is part of the story. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that, you know, they put so much of it into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I worry that a remake would dumb it all down, but we'll talk about remakes later. So this film opens up with Carla Moran, and she is a single mother of three, just going through her workaday world. Modern woman, 1983. Pencil skirts, high heels, nice hair. Yeah, absolutely. Comes home, got a hunky teenage son, got two young daughters, and... What I like is that it kind of gets to it right away. We know what we're in for. We know that we're here to watch a ghost story. And you're watching this movie for five minutes. Seven minutes to be exact. To be exact. Yeah. Because you get a little bit of shorthand there. You get like, yeah, she's a modern woman. She has a job. She has kids. She cares for them very much. Um, They have some domestic things. He doesn't clean up all the time. And he is having trouble in school. Mm-hmm. You know, the girls might have stayed up past her bedtime, normal, 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 and then seven minutes hit and we're whacked over the head like she is, basically, mm-hmm. and then thrown on the bed and raped by an unseen entity. It happens without warning. That score hits you with this thump. Bam, 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 bam. And when it's over, she just lets out this horrifying scream. Kids come running. She's screaming at her son, check the house, check the closet, check everywhere. She'd had a pillow stuffed over her face. So in her mind, a man had come in and raped her. Yeah. And must have disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Terrifying. Even if you stop the film right there and have it just, you know, that sort of brutal rape, had it been a corporeal human being. Mm Mm-hmm. Fucking horrible. Fucking terrifying. Home invasion. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Of course, the son finds absolutely nothing. Doesn't know what the situation is. And then she's sort of left with this aftermath of what the fuck just happened to me. They don't call the cops because the windows were locked, the doors were locked. There was no way. No one came in or out. Yeah. So, yeah, she has to put the kids back to bed. She goes back into her bedroom and it's just this creepy, unsettling feeling that you feel as an audience member of this is a, a room of stillness and nothing and disheveled bedclothes and things. But like, what happened here? How could I sleep in this bed ever again? Mm-hmm. It's terrifying and unsettling. It absolutely is. Within 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of subtle hints that go into Barbara Hershey's Hershey's. There's a lot of subtle hints that go into Barbara Hershey's performance where she is the victim of a sexual assault. And there's so many subtle points. 
the next day before our next event, her sort of pulling out the bedclothes and looking at them, the ones that she was wearing when the first assault happened and just sort of putting them back in the top drawer and closing it. And then sitting back down into her bed, all is well, theoretically. I mean, her kids don't, her younger kids seem to be able to sleep. Her oldest son is staying up, checking on her. He seemed like a very, he's a good kid. Yeah. And, and loves his mother and family very much. At first, you get a little sense like he might be all sauce or whatever. But the second he knows that his mom is in trouble, it's like, oh, yeah, that woman's his whole world. And so he's like alert. He's, are you okay? Like constantly checking on her. And she goes down to read a book. And then a secondary event happens where it almost would appear as though this entity were within the room and just looking at her and then kind of reaching over to some furniture and just shaking that one and then maybe slowly moving over to the other one and just shaking that one and just kind of fucking with her yeah just, totally fucking just with fucking her. with her and then these it kind of reminds me of a cat you know like when you're sitting there reading a book and your cat's like on the like, table and like nudging a fucking glass of water off the edge and looking at you yeah, yeah. and then yeah. it like goes over to the corner and like starts like pulling at the curtains yeah or something yeah that's what it reminds me of but like way more mean and rapier yeah, way more serious. Uh, I mean, less less uh, less puckish charm and more ghostly menace. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it is. It's done really well. Uh, where at the very first one, you're like, even you can see it in her eyes. It's like, oh, I know that I just went through something really, really unsettling. But that must be a tremor. It's probably like a streetcar going by or like a big truck or something because her bedside table shakes and then her dresser shakes. And like you're saying, it's like he's going around the room just fucking with her. So it's like there's no doubt that this is a unseen entity, mm-hmm. not a fucking truck going by. Mm-hmm. Not It's not a tremor. No. And then it really ramps up. Curtain rods get torn down. And then she is just howling in terror. She gets her kids gets into a car, peels out of there, r- runs over a bike. Yeah, I like that that really cements that she is in haste does not give a shit. She just wants to get out of that house with her kids and safe. Totally unlike a lot of other horror movies where they don't leave the house till the very end. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, within like 15 20 minutes she's already like get the fuck out of here. We need somewhere safe to pl- to be. There's something in the house. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and there's even this really tense moment just before she gets out of there because she's lost her keys, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's got to go back, gets her purse, the keys aren't in the purse. We see we see the keys the whole time. They're up on a mantle in front of a mirror. So yeah. we see her racing around the house trying to collect her stuff and find these fucking keys. And it's so frustrating to have mm-hmm. these keys right in mm-hmm. our foreground and her running around looking for them. And we want to just be like, right there, right there, right there. Get the keys, go. Yeah. Go <laughs> push the car if you have to. She gets out of there, goes to her friend's house. A lot of effective use of mirrors um, up until this point. There's even a point where I'm expecting a mirror to almost tilt and look at her, sort of like the mirror tilts and look at uh, Amelia Estevez in Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> there's parts where I almost think that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. luckily she goes to see her friend Cindy. Cindy is a good friend to accept a woman and her three children so late at night. Much to the chagrin of her husband. Her fucking husband's a real piece of shit. Let me tell you something. Like, if your wife's friend 
maybe best friend, whatever, comes to your house in the middle of the night with her children and is terrified and wants to spend the night, what the fuck is with the attitude, man? Yeah. Fucking pull out a bunk. Stay. I don't get it. I don't get it. I, the, the idea of him howling at his well, are you coming back to bed? Who the fuck is that? What's that all about? I just, like, I can't stand this guy so fucking much. From the get-go, like, no. Like, I know. And, and, and I thought he was gonna- <laughs> I thought he was going to be, like, an invisible character. Like, I thought we were just going to, like, see him shouting at his wife here and there or her talking about him. He eventually does make an appearance, but at no point is this somebody that I fucking like or respect. Because he's shitty. Because the next day when, you know, they have not made themselves an inconvenience they're they're tidy. She's making. She just. And this is a friend in duress. This is somebody who needs help right now and needs a safe place to be. Yeah. And he's being a cock about it. He's being the biggest fucking cock. And then he, all she's taken is cereal. She's made them all coffee, and he wants her out of there. She's leaving soon. What like what's the? And then picks a fucking fight with his wife. Yeah. Picks a big fight with his wife about like her. Friend not being married and shit. That's like that. just what it. The fuck? That's just it. And and I and, and immediately I was like, oh, oh, I see how it is. It's because she's not married and has three kids. That what like so there's something wrong with her. And she's a woman out there making decisions and stuff. Yeah. Like his yeah. wife obviously just lives on easy street, right? Because yeah. I don't think she's allowed to make decisions aside from what where what to wear because she does dress very very well. And color coordinates really well. I like the the character of Cindy, but fuck her husband. Oh my mm. god, it's such an old guard chauvinistic piece of shit that we're cringing and hating this guy. I don't know if audiences back then would have even really realized what they were watching. Maybe not, right? Yeah. But I but I think that his well, some people might have. You know, well, my mom would have watched and been like, "What a dick." No, but, I know. Well, yeah. I just think his comments are poisonous, and I don't, and and I can't understand. Well, I can kind of understand. Like, look, we we are having, we are going to be dealing with a woman that is going to be bombarded by all sides from a lot of old guard chauvinistic bullshit that's going to be floating around in this movie. There's some good people in this movie, and there's people on her side, absolutely. But before we get there, there are people that aren't on her side. And there's even people that aren't on our side that aren't chauvinistic pigs either. So yeah. we got a nice mix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But of course, so she's had to leave her friend's house. They just like sneak off while the couple are arguing because what do you do, right? Don't want to get in the middle of that. You got enough trouble with your rape ghost. So she takes the kids to the beach and just doesn't know where to go or what to do. She has no money. Her house is like terrifying to fucking be in. Mm-hmm. And poses a very real physical threat and she has kids in tow like what to do and it's not until like late at night when her son's like are we gonna stay out here all night so then mm. they go back to the house because they kind of have to yeah it's it's this or the street she feels unwelcome at her best friend's house her boyfriend whom we've only heard mere mention of at the beginning of the film is away not present we don't know we can probably assume he's away on business or maybe he lives elsewhere, but at, at the very least, we, he's not around. Mm-hmm. So she is effectively on her own and she still won't go to the police. And I guess her mentality is, what do you tell them? 
What do, what do you tell the police? I've been raped by a person whom I can't see. She does talk to her friend and she does explain what happened. But and her friend thinks the best course of action is to go see a psychiatrist, a specialist. Yeah, she says when when men who are actually there break into your bedroom and have intercourse with you, you need to see a good psychiatrist. Yeah. Which she doesn't go to see right away, but she has a pretty damn good reason once she does because this fucking thing is following her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes out the next day, and I don't know, I don't remember exactly where. She was taking a typing class, too. Mm-hmm. So she was in school, and she had some sort of part-time work or whatever. But she gets ready to go, and her car suddenly won't break. Mm-hmm. And it's driving and careening through the streets. Luckily, no one is hurt, but it looks like the car will veer toward people to hurt them and then away from people and then up toward a thing that it's going to smash into or just like narrowly avoids. And she's reefing on the wheel. So she's trying to like avoid getting in a serious fucking accident. But the engine is revving. The brakes are not fucking working. And from the soundtrack, we know it's the entity. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. yeah thank yeah. you. Thank you to the uh, Charles Bernstein, who also did the Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Yeah. He also did the soundtrack to um, one of our favorites, Shark Octopus versus Werewolf. Let me tell you something, sci-fi. Stop it. Stop it. What? You didn't like Shark Octopus versus Werewolf? Just stop it. Can you picture a werewolf? Uh, I had to look it up. Uh, I Google it. It I looks refused. fucking stupid. Yeah. It doesn't even look cool. You know what? If you're not even... I get it. You think your fucking shark and whale puns are hilarious. They're not. And not only that, but you're not making anything cool about it. I don't fucking buy this. It's so bad. It's good bullshit. It's just bad. It's And people shitty. who are watching it, they will fucking watch anything. Anything. Yeah. So you're wasting time and money. You're wasting valuable time and money, I think. Yeah. It's disgusting to me. That whole subgenre like it's huge yeah i edit um movie listings daily and there's a lot more of them than you'd ever imagine and i didn't mean to exclude i it's not all sharks and whales sometimes it's crocodiles or lava lanchulas yep you can't leave them out i don't know (laughs) even silly blood glacier i remember my mother calling me and saying like hey because she knew I didn't watch all these shark octopus and fucking Sharknado movies. But she did from time to time. Especially if the title was good. She would watch Shark Octopus versus Whale Wolf. Just because she'd be like, I gotta see this Whale Wolf. Blood Glacier. She calls me up and says, hey, have you seen Blood Glacier? And I'm like, no, I have not seen Blood Glacier. Have you watched Blood Glacier? And she said, well, yeah. I said, is it any good? She said, Lydia, it's about a blood glacier. No, it wasn't good. I just want to know if you saw it. Like, it's cute water cooler talk that never goes anywhere with me. But, yeah. I bet you Shark Octopus versus Werewolf sounded good. Fine. Sounds like dog shit to me, but it's a paycheck. (laughs) Charles Bernstein, yeah. Sorry about your luck. (laughs) You did good with the entity. And I hope they ever remake this film, then they will call him on to do the sound again. Because that'd be really cool. Can you imagine that? You do the entity and you do Nightmare on Elm Street. And then 30 years later, what the fuck are you doing? Shark octopus versus whale wolf. I'm really glad that he only did the whale wolf one and not like a big string of others. Because that's the only like shark opto whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He did it in his garage or something. He's like, oh, I got 15 minutes. I'll score this piece of shit. Yeah, probably. Back to the film at hand. So she has almost wrecked her fucking car up. 
and goes like it's smash cut to the psychiatrist office yeah yeah so we can applaud this woman for making a rational choice she does many of those through the film she's a very uh, intelligent and people are telling her through the film that she's a rational intelligent strong woman and she is a rational intelligent strong woman so she does the rational intelligent strong woman thing and goes straight to fucking shrink so this is where we learn a little bit more about this woman's background she has had quite the life uh of her young 36 years where she seemed to believe that uh and there's no reason to doubt her that she had an incestuous relationship with her father yeah dr snyderman does what Dr. Snydermans do and drags out a little bit of background because he can't take these claims of her being assaulted by an unseen spirit, a malicious unseen spirit that's causing her physical harm without being able to rule out that she has some psychological disturbances of her own, right? Mm. So they do talk about the fact that she ran away from home when she was 16 from Mm. this overly religious probably incestuous and terrifying and oppressive relationship with her family into the arms of a really sexy, sexy man in New York city mm-hmm. who, uh, and she got pregnant. Yeah. At and 16. then at 16 and then within a year before the child was born, her, uh, boyfriend or husband, she did marry him. Yeah, she did. Yeah, uh, died in a motor- motorcycle accident. He was a heavy drinker, on pills and everything. And on it was pills. a nightmare. Apparently, it was a nightmare. And then she felt relieved when he died. Then she met a new man who was old enough to be her father, and had two more kids with that person. And then uh, that dude fucked off, just up and left. Just up and left. And now here she is, looking after three kids, holding it down, holding down the fort, doing a good job. I think. Um, and, and when you, so this, this woman has lived, this woman has had a lot of life experience, uh, enough for a couple of lifetimes. Not a really atypical, uh, I know a lot of people that are my age that haven't lifted a finger all their life. You know, they grew up and went to school and got a job and didn't live necessarily, whether they got married or not. But then there are many people I know who have had this sort of life and then some by 36 to have had two relationships, at least one be a marriage and end up with three children and be underemployed and living paycheck to paycheck and stuff like that. But doing it with a smile on their face and having happy kids and well-adjusted kids and Mm -hmm. having Mm -hmm. a a very together life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of people could relate to I think so too, and and I think it's a lot to be admired. This is a good character. Yeah. I like this character quite a bit. Um, and and I think again when we're talking about strong female characters in films, there's one right here. Mm-hmm. So I think no one likes to see their strong female character get raped repeatedly, though. No, however, seeing her resolve, mm-hmm. it's not about the fact that a strong character can't be overtaken. It's how a strong character deals with this and in by the end of this film she goes through a dramatic transformation once she realizes that this is not a psychological episode that she is not hysteric as some people would claim that she is um and then by the end of it she stands unafraid at this thing so i think this is a wonderful journey for this character and I think that her background 
and her perseverance because of her background gave her the strength to get through this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to fully relying on other people because she talked to the psychiatrist this uh phil guy phil yeah dr phil dr phil (laughs) he's sitting there like you gotta take control of your life but she's like no no dr phil you're not a doctor oprah made you famous get off television fuck dr phil right now have you seen the news where he had shelly duvall on the show no oh yeah (laughs) i fuck dr phil i haven't really read up on it because i don't watch dr phil and i don't really read shitty sensationalized headlines but as soon as it was like Horror's darling, Shelley Duvall, and her, like, annoying olive oil endearment. <laughs> She's having suffering from terrible mental illness. And he had her on the show and was very exploitative. And apparently Stanley Kubrick's uh, daughter, Vivian, I think her name is, if I recall, had some pretty harsh words for Dr. Phil, as did a lot of other people in show business and horror fans. Wow. and yeah, so fuck Dr. Fell. But this Dr. Fell is pretty cool, except that he's taking these things that we're knowing that she's finding strength is. That Carla had this background that toughened her. It tempered her. She's a very strong individual, and her past has a lot to do with why. And he's taking, well, no, you're weak-minded, and your past has a lot to do with why. So yeah. as much as Dr. Phil is on her side and really, really cares about her and wants to see this through and you know, destroy whatever it is that's happening to her, he is blaming it a lot on her past. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way in hell that this guy believes that there is a spirit, ghost, demon, phantom, poltergeist, anything. Yeah. He does not believe in this stuff whatsoever. And he believes, truly believes, that through these discussions, he will help her and that these assaults will stop. But they don't stop. No, and all you're thinking, even with the initial assaults and when she starts trying to like explain it to herself and other people, you're like, if someone could just see what happens. The bathroom rape scene is the probably the most brutal, I think. Mm-hmm. One of the most brutal. But it's the scariest because she's alone and it has slammed one door, then slammed the other door. She's trapped in the bathroom alone with it. No one can see what it's doing. And the way that this particular rape scene is done is very brutal because it's smushing her face up against mirrors it's smashing her face up against a clear shower curtain and the motion that barbara hershey is taking on like you know we've all had sex i'm sure whoa wait no what not me bodies being fucked look like and i'm sure barbara hershey had had some inside information into what a human body looks like when it's getting pounded right yeah she gets fucking pounded in this room and it's horrible Mm -hmm. and she gets her arms pulled apart and her legs pulled apart and if anyone would have been able to see that it would have broke their fucking heart Mm -hmm. entirely Mm -hmm. and they would have there's no way that she could be doing this to herself no fucking way at all but she's trapped alone in a room so it's really heart-wrenching to see this Mm -hmm. aside from the brutality of this rape and how wonderfully it's acted like it Mm -hmm. is acted very very well that it's painful to watch even though it's not you don't see full frontal nudity aside from a little bit of boob in the mirror when she's undressing Mm -hmm. when things are calm Mm -hmm. 20 seconds the scene is 20 seconds yeah burned forever in my memory yeah Yeah, 20 seconds of brutality and then she collapses to the floor it's after this she starts talking about there being three beings Mm -hmm. one large one 
which I keep thinking looks like Danzig, mm-hmm. and two smaller ones, mm-hmm. not like children, but small, strong, demon-type creatures uh, that are holding our limbs back while the large one rapes her. Mm-hmm. Terrifying idea. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Doctors are telling her it's all in her mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, she comes to the doctor's office that day now with some very nasty bruises all over her body. Bite marks on her chest, uh, finger marks, completely indented bruised finger marks on her shoulders. Both of her inner thighs are horribly marked. Her, Huge purple bruises. Her her ankles are marked. He thinks she did it to herself somehow. Yeah. With no explanation. This is what frustrates me is she even says, how could I bite my own chest like this? He does have base in fact. People that are undergoing some wild psychoses can definitely inflict unbelievable, unprecedented, and almost like impossibly, physically impossibly seeming wounds upon themselves. Mm-hmm. Someone undergoing a really, really horrible psychotic break can probably bite their back. I don't see how though. No, no, we don't see how. They'd have to capture it on video, and strange things like that have been. People being blinded by, you know, let like, people having eye problems and being blinded, what you might not see is them sticking their fingers into their eyeballs right up to the, like, past the third flange as deep as they can and then trying to get a second finger in there. They have no recollection of doing it. People can do fucked up shit like that to themselves. But I mean, even the logistics of like, how do you like, how do you bite down there? You can't. Dislocate your shoulder. Dislocate your shoulder. Dislocate your whole neck. Dislocate your neck. That's <laughs> Either way, yeah, she probably could have. In his mind, it's not impossible because he's seen some pretty fucking wild shit. To me, it just seemed... Maybe it's because I know that it's legitimate. I know that it's happening to her. So when a character is just like, oh, does this, uh, it's like there's people in the height of hysteria that can do some pretty crazy things. Like, I was like, that's not an explanation because you're not explaining how she did this. Tell me how she did that. Yeah. Don't tell me that it's, it's like, well, it's a pretty strange world we live in. People are capable of all kinds of things. I'm like, then tell me. Tell me, buddy, did she fucking uh, uh, dislocate her neck? Dislocate her neck because those bite marks are like you. I was like, that is completely fucking like traceable. You can see how it was bitten. A face going this way, like towards you. And that, you know what? I want. I want to be thorough here. Measure her teeth. Measure those teeth. Do they match? Yeah, it's not fucking rocket science. And aside from all that. Not only, like, how could she have done it, but why? Why would she fucking be doing this? What yeah. sort of attention does she gather from this? None. It's all negative attention. She doesn't seem to be somebody who wants negative attention. She wants no real fucking attention at all. She wants to do shit by herself. I can really relate to that. Mm-hmm. So, like, totally obtuse thinking of Dr. Phil. But he's still a likable doctor because he wants he, to help her. He's a likable person. He's not coming off as a dick. He's always speaking in a very calm rational tone um and he and he look he d- drives her home he he wants to you start to suspect that he might have an interest in her beyond the professional but he's keeping that very close to the vest and and i think that it never crosses a line until maybe kind of towards the end where i'm like eh, eh. 
But yeah, <laughs> she stays on one side of that line, just like she stays on the other side of that screen door while he's walking away with no real look on her face of like, I'm she, interested in this guy. Where where she, he's where, all like, where, yeah, where she's like, what? No, yeah. like it's almost like, like that kind of reaction. And he's like looking back over his shoulder, like, oh, she's so pretty. Whatever. I I feel you, dude. She is pretty, but you're also not speaking her language. And you're her doctor. What comes up from this result where she decides fully and 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 entirely is that he decides that what she needs to do is sit down and talk with a lot of these doctors. Basically, everyone at the university. Yeah. That's in the... the, So they've arranged this, like, mass meeting. Yeah, where she was going to sit down into a room full of these old dudes smoking pipes and cigarettes. Like, the place is just filled with fucking smoke. It's crazy to me how they're all just sitting there inside of university and just hotboxing this fucking room. Basically. Welcome to the 80s. She finishes telling her story and she gets the vibe very quickly that they don't believe her. They're a whole bunch of Cindy's husbands. That's why. That's why. And when she finally leaves, because they keep asking her, and, and I know that the reasoning, they're like, what makes you so special? Why did this thing choose you? I'm like, so special. This is a fucking horrible experience, dude. It's like, she's not liking it. And, and, and. And, and you're trying to act like she's suggesting that she's been chosen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, and these are things that she's never really thought about. So, of course, her answers aren't going to be, like, satisfactory whatsoever. Yeah, she, she's she's like, why did it choose me? I don't fucking know. Yeah, yeah <laughs> she came to you guys for help. Mm-hmm. She did, she did. If she had all the answers, she probably wouldn't have gone to you. But as soon as she leaves, they light up their pipes again. And then the head of the fucking department unloads the most asinine, ass-backwards bullshit psychology that I've ever heard in my entire life that is such a fucking product of the time. And it doesn't even make any logical sense. And I'm wondering, was psychology this bad in 1980? Somewhat. And it is like writing a lot of like Freud's thinking's being discounted too. Although there is a lot that Freud has to say about human sexuality that isn't unright. But like to say that all of the sex that she's had in her entire life is fake sex and doesn't count. Mm-hmm. And the minute that she's met a real man that she's regressing into all this fake sex that didn't count and a childlike frame of mind is bunk. It really is. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. The I can't believe that he's like, well, look who she slept with, an adolescent, and then someone old enough to be her father. A young a young man and an old man. That's not real sex. The Dr. Phil, um not his last name's not Phil, but Dr. Snyderman. 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 <laughs> Dr. Snyderman. Um Dr. Snyderman, he even says, Well, what do you she's like, um, she's a grown woman, mother of three. What do you mean? What are you talking about? And they're like, well, that's procreation. That's not real sex. And it's like, that's not real. It wasn't real. I'm like, what are you talking? Like, I'm fucking reeling. What the fuck are you talking about, dog? I don't get it. You're saying bullshit. You don't sound like you have a fucking psych degree. You don't sound like you've been to college. You sound like you fucking have spent your entire life sitting there, smoking that pipe, watching fucking Leave it to Beaver, masturbating over a fucking picture of ike eisenhower that's what you look like to me man slow claps 
insert slow claps here. Yeah, no, he totally does. And it's sad in a way because this is where Dr. Snyderman had been kind of on our side and was telling his colleagues there's something more to this. I would have discounted this right away as someone with just a mild psychosis. But there is something more to this. So now he's getting sort of raked over the coals by his fellow faculty saying that she's obviously unsettled and it's all just like old infantile fantasies that she's living out because she can't face reality because now she's shocked up with a real man which isn't even really true because he's never around so whatever he's never around and man let me tell you something this, her fucking boyfriend fuck piece of work this guy is i know right the real man thing come kind of comes around and bites him in the ass i think but oh yeah uh yeah he's a manly man he's never there i guess that's what real men do right just kind of like be a figurehead and don't actually do anything or be there you know works buys her things he's never around i know I know. Doesn't really seem to know her very well. Not really. No. Doesn't seem to care either because he does return uh, briefly. Yeah. And because like her friend Cindy can only do so much sleepover, like give her like a little bit of refuge, be uh, a sympathetic ear. This doctor coming to her house, fucking like trying to help her out. You know, she's not getting anywhere, and these attacks are not stopping. No, and for all the times that I've wished up until this point in the movie that someone else could witness this, unfortunately, the first people that get to witness an attack are her children. Yeah. 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 Very sad. Yeah. She makes this massive whipped cream and ice cream. Is it like a banana split? I guess. It's like... It's a... Fu- like, this is what's so sad. It's a fun night. It's mm-hmm. a fun night with her kids. Yeah. They Like, Cindy had been watching them all day. They they show up at home. They want dessert. Her and her son just make this awesome fucking big ice cream. The kids are just having a great time. And then, boom. Like, like this awful, humiliating fucking thing happens. Her son tries to do something. And this is the first time that we see special effects. Yeah, and you're putting that in sort of air quotes almost because it isn't the high point. It's not the strong point of this film, I don't think. But it does the job. Yeah. And it does reflect what they were seeing. That's the whole point of this. So it's not going to be Hollywood blockbuster CGI. It's not going to be fucking... Yeah, there's no green screen or Mm. whatever here. They were just using whatever technology they had at hand in 1981, 2, and 3, because it was filmed in 1981 at that, mm-hmm. not released till late 82, theaters 83, but, mm-hmm. or probably home video 83. But um, it is trying to accurately capture what they were seeing, which looks like blue lightning mm-hmm. coming into his fingers. And he's trying his damnedest to help his mom. And the screaming. ghost is throwing him back. He tries yeah. to go at her, and she's being pinned down to the couch in front of her screaming daughters and raped, mm-hmm. which is unbelievably insane. And this was one of the. This is the second point when I remember crawling out of my room and hiding under the kitchen table and watching part of this mm-hmm. when I was a little kid. So I had seen. I didn't fully understand what was going on, but I knew that a woman was being hurt because it's very loud and the score is very, very abrupt and abrasive and, like you said, goes along with the motions of the rape as it's going. Like It's very, very um, arresting. Mm-hmm. And I got up to see Billy get his arm broken, which uh, the actor did get his arm broken in this scene. It wasn't what happened in, in real life. He didn't get his arm broken. He was thrown around by a ghost. 
but uh, the actor accidentally broke his arm. Mm-hmm. So they just wrote it in, you know. But it worked. It makes total sense. Like, And it adds to the violence of this ghost, right? Mm-hmm. But he's thrown back from his screaming mother countless times. Like, it's very, very harrowing. Then he's trying to fight back against it, almost to the point you're thinking, how many of these fucking things are there? There's some of them holding her arms and legs apart, one of them still having otter, and there's another one that's holding him at bay. Mm-hmm fucking intense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. again it's another scene that lasts maybe a minute yeah Mm -hmm. and then it's one of those situations where where like you just like this family's getting fucking devastated by this thing and she needs a solution and there's no solution coming talking to the psychiatrist isn't fucking helping and eventually even when her boyfriend comes back they have a nice moment together but in bed but they don't she won't tell him exactly what's going on she just doesn't want him to go and she wants him to stay and he's saying that this last trip this trip is going to be his last trip and he's going to be taking over the la office and apparently this is a a tune he's sung before so she's not entirely convinced and she's got a lot going on right now yeah it's weird to me though because if they really cared about one another he would be able to see right through that there's something wrong and not really let her out of it so easily without telling him because mm-hmm. whatever it is is fucking huge and important quite mm-hmm. obviously unless he just doesn't really care or you know why wouldn't she want to talk to her significant other about what's going on when it's something as devastating as what's going on and the children are privy to this her best friend is privy to this she has a psychologist Mm -hmm. she almost ran over half of downtown la Mm -hmm. people are aware and she's starting to be open about the fact that it's a rape ghost and not her mind Mm -hmm. so like why she isn't being open with him is crazy to me because she's being very open and honest with other people and going for help aside from the police themselves but there's no one to arrest so why bother the police it's the same reason they didn't call the police in the first place but anyone barring the police she's gone down these avenues for help but won't turn to a significant other it's just very strange to me and it's not a general mistrust of men i don't think maybe they just don't really care about each other really maybe they're going to be in a relationship like cindy and her husband and she doesn't want that I think that there's an the the absentee nature of this dude who does seem to to like the family does seem to like her kids d- does seem to genuinely like her but seems to like more of the idea of her and probably genuinely believes that he loves her and but I think that when we see his true colors mm-hmm. I think that it becomes very obvious that it is again an idea of this woman She's very intelligent. She's very beautiful. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be attracted to with this woman until things get difficult. And then people go away from her. Which is crazy to me. People are difficult just by nature. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but, I, but whatever people are looking for, they get a glimpse of something that is not it. Or she finds herself just attracted to the type of men who would be this way and even though this guy might think that he yeah i'm definitely i'm gonna marry this woman and and we're gonna have be a real family and yada 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 at the end of the day he still has that comfort zone of yeah i I go see her we have sex i pet all the kids on the head maybe we have like 
a weekend together where I take them out to the zoo and then I'm fucking gone. I disappear like a ghost. And then I'm yeah, like dis- an entity. Like an entity. He does he he's gone. And so that type of and then he can just go where he wants and live how he wants and basically like live like a bachelor. Yeah. And and and, and so when things get real, he out. It could be because they don't really get a chance to talk very often. It's every day or two in the story she asks if he's called or the son will say he hasn't called. And she doesn't seem to really be too worried about it or check in. So they don't talk very often. It's just a very strange relationship. But according to the psychologist, he's a real man. Why he would get that impression is bizarre to me. Is it because they're closer in age? Maybe he looks like he's fucking 50. Because he fits that mold, that stereotypical mold that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Coming out of the 60s, 70s, coming out of the 50s, really. That he is a breadwinner. He's got a good job. He looks like a man. He dresses like a man. He talks like a man. And that's what Mm -hmm. she needs because she's a woman, right? So, yeah. I think her and Cindy would have made a much better couple. Right? They're so cute together. They really are. That scene where she's walking her out to the car. I'm going to take care of the kids. I was like, where's this? This? Yeah. I was like, Cindy, leave her husband. He probably wouldn't notice anyway. He wouldn't notice anyway. (laughs) And then these guys could be a really, really good couple. They seem to genuinely love each other. Yeah. They're really adorable. Yeah. But, okay. I'm into it. I want that. That's our fanfic of the that's entity. Our, that's, our, that's our slash fiction of the entity. And then they, they sort of rein the entity in and make it do household chores for them. Mm. Oh my god, I'm totally going to write that. I think it would be amazing. I was like, we'll show you who's boss entity. Um, No, but she's at her wit's end. And she goes to her, her friend's place to talk to her. Now, Cindy has all the time in the world. For her friend. But her fucking dipshit husband. They're going to a wedding reception. Like, I don't want to be late. Like to a wedding reception? Who cares? Don't go. This is more important. Yeah. That or he could go on by himself. Yeah. 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 I, I was like wedding reception. Whatever. They'll practice their vows. You get it. Mm-hmm. We don't all need to be here. And by the way, it's like we're going for like an hour. I'm like, is this really that important to you? Like some stupid like wedding reception that you're going to an hour for when your wife's best friend is is like in shambles, like t- like talking to you right now. Is like, oh, it'll be like fucking out by the front of the fucking car honking his horn. Dipshit. Yeah. Dipshit. Who the fuck does that? He deserves what his house gets right now. Though, Holy fuck. So, this is the only comeuppance you get against this fucking asshole of a character. And what I dig about this scene is you think for a second, I'm like, oh my God, is when Carla is alone and and just the house, uh, Cindy's house just starts erupting, just just getting torn up way harder than... Oh yeah, it's not just shaking dressers or oh, like no. rattling mirrors anymore. It's like the, the windows are bursting, fucking the shelves are getting torn out. Lights like, are... Ex- I don't know what poltergeists have against lamps. But unfortunately, Cindy and her husband have a lot of them and they're all like exploding and like every light fixture is exploding and full bookshelves are like barfing their contents across the room. Like it's fucking nuts. It is nuts. And and it is a, it is a, a, a very blatant display of this thing's power. The house is freaking the fuck out. Every window has been smashed mm-hmm. inward. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. And if we weren't convinced that this thing could strike her at any point. If the car wasn't enough indication, this tells you that not only can this thing strike it anywhere, it can strike with as much, if not more, ferocity from any which way. 
So it is not a matter of like, oh, her house is haunted. I'm like, mm-mm. This thing is focused on her and will follow her to the ends of the earth. And just when you think that it's going to be one of those scenarios where Cindy and her husband get upstairs and everything's destroyed and they think that she's just torn the house apart and in a, in a fit of hysterics. Well, then, holy shit, they actually see something. Yeah, they get to see things getting thrown across a room and things getting smashed mm-hmm. by this entity, which is great. It's mm-hmm. you, you finally feel a little bit of redemption because, mm-hmm. yeah, you really wanted somebody to see it. Ooh, the children saw it. Damn, that was a bad one. Yeah. And then finally, adults, friends. Mm-hmm. Someone who has mostly believed her but wasn't quite sure mm-hmm. and now tells her, oh my gosh, I'm mm-hmm. so sorry if I doubted you at all. I believe you. We saw it. And she is just so relieved to sobbing that her friends were able to see it. Well, I don't count the husband as a friend. No, and their husband yeah. even for a split second says so she tore the whole fucking house apart. Yeah. And then Cindy's like, no, you saw it. We saw it. She didn't do this. Yeah, which damn the husband all over again. What a I know, jerk. Right? But it, yeah, it, it's funny because like even though even if she wasn't, um, even if she wasn't ready to stop with the psychology, really, she definitely because originally she went to Cindy because of the fact that like uh, she had this massive blowout with the psychologist. Yeah, the psychologist started suggesting quite insanely. I think that. Well, you're seeing this entity that's like a big one and two small ones, and you've got these children that are a big one and two small ones. And you said you had a incestuous relationship with your father, and sex was a very taboo thing. He was a reverend. Billy's all. a really good-looking man, and, and you said he looked like his father. Spitting image of his father. And you were very taken with him and married him at 16. So maybe you want to fuck your son. That's what he's suggesting. And this is coming right after. This is probably one of the best acted scenes um, in the entire film. And that's saying something because I think all the scenes are quite strong. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that this um, beforehand, what prompted this visit was, as we skipped right over it, sorry, but um, is the fact that this entity brought her to climax. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't even that brutal of a rape scene. We kind of get, there's three different kinds of rape scenes in this film. Where there is one where you're hit over the head for 20 seconds with the most brutal fucking rape you could ever imagine. Um, then there's the sneaking ones that you like. And those ones you don't expect. Then there's the sneaking ones where they start out with like five minutes of like Dutch tilt camera angles and mm-hmm. shadow play and mirrors. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's creeping up on her. And then she's hit with a rape scene. And then there's other ones where she's held down and it's just like she's tortured sexily with her breasts being manipulated and and who knows what else but i yeah. think and and she was asleep uh, she had just been with her boyfriend so she probably was just ha- thought she was having a dream and it brought her to climax and then the, and of course this um talks about all kinds of levels about the confusion of sexual assault and yeah. and the shame that it can be like Especially when you're talking about people like uh, victims who have come forward who are victims of uh, uh, molestation as children and stuff like that. How it is confusing because things that are happening, they feel good, but it's so fucking scary and it's wrong. And like and and then especially the physiological confusion period of being brought to an orgasm. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so this and, and so she comes back 
to the to the the psychiatrist that this uh, Phil guy, and she is just filled with shame, and she she talks about how she's ashamed that she was able to be brought to climax. This thing tricked her. She it thought, did trick her too. She, she thought she was dreaming, and that's when. You know, she smashed all the mirrors in her bedroom. She screamed at her son to get out. She's just so like it's like a "don't look at me" yeah type thing. Um, and that's what brought her to Cindy's house. And so the doctor is is showing her pictures of of, of succubus and uh, demons of, and werewolves and and yeah, uh, and, and all kinds of sh- uh, shit incubi, but which actually are the same demons succubi incubi that believe believe that they can change genders and shit like that to suit their victims if you if you care about that if stuff, you care about well, we cared about that stuff it, right up until recently so it, it, it had to be like it, that if you if you cared about uh, demonology at all um there's some interesting books out there that you can read but anyway um i i think that um th- and and what he is suggesting is the that throughout history we have invented these creatures to put a face on our desires, on our desires. desire is a horrible, scary, and powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that like we are just animals, and some and and we have built a society to cure a lot of our urges, and especially if you're in like a puritanical environment, uh, and and the fact that she grew up in a very strict environment like that, um, and and sex is wrong is like you have this. This unquenched desire and sex has always been like this weird, confusing thing for you. And relationships have always been really unorthodox. So he definitely drank the Kool-Aid that the fucking Brat Pack Venom in yeah. the old guard's smoky psychological yeah. and so, pressure and, tank. Yeah. And, and it's like, and so what you are doing is you are believing that an entity is attacking you to explain your own sexual diet she views this as absolutely obscene she storms out she uh, she's mortified because she believes this is happening but she has so many people telling her that it's not happening that when cindy and her husband finally see something it is this wave of release and she's like a, a different character almost entirely at this point where she no longer feels like a woman who can't trust herself she feels like a woman that is much um she treats herself with the conviction and the drive that I would imagine she's treated herself her entire life. Yeah. Where, where, oh, uh, my my father is molesting me. I'm leaving. Oh, my boyfriend is a nightmare and he died. I'm kind of relieved. I'm just going to take care of my son. Oh, I met this other guy. Oh, he left me with two kids. Whatever. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get educated. I'm going to like take care of my family. Like it's just kind of like it's practical. It's plans. It's this is what we're doing now. Yeah. A, B, C, D, that type of thing. So it's very nice to see her come out of her shell. And then that is where we're introduced to our paranormal experts who... In the most fluky manner ever, because her and her friend go to the bookstore to research ghosts Mm -hmm. and paranormal. They pass by a book on poltergeist. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of in a way you can tell they don't know anything about this shit. It's true. Um, There's no way you can really make so much of this up if you don't know anything about it either. So they're pouring over the occult books and they hear these paranormal investigators talking about recent cases. And just serendipitous. Mm -hmm. She invites them over to the house and... While she's showing them around, explaining some of the things that she's seen, she says at one point, like, you don't believe me, do you? Because mm-hmm. they're trying, she's trying to explain the lightning effect that they'd seen, and they're, like, making sound effects, and she's just like, really? 
they tell her what a lot of paranormal psychologists and investigators need to say. They want to believe you. They mm-hmm. want to believe everybody, but they need to prove them wrong before they can believe them, right? Mm-hmm. They need to prove as much as they can without a shadow of a doubt. There's no explanation for this other than paranormal activity. So they're in the house and they're like, look, we want to believe you. Yeah. So she's told them all these things. Luckily, and probably because this is ground zero for fucking crazy entity attacks, they're, they get to see a bit of an attack. Mm-hmm. The mirror starts rattling. Mm-hmm. And then this horrible stench fills the air. Mm-hmm. Then they get cold. Chilly cold. Cold spots. It's all the earmarks of specifically a demon. Specifically a demon, which they keep talking about poltergeists, but... It's, it, I, like, I, it's funny because the, the, the cold air, but the foul smell. Yeah. It's the foul smell. That makes me think that, and the fact that he has minions and is raping her. Yeah, well, there's that, but but but, but so like, I think that even to even to say ghost is reductive because at this point, especially now that like the knowledge that we have these days and the signs of what this that and the other thing, we know that what this is is a demon. Yeah, that is targeting her for whatever fucking reason. She just says, I don't know, thinks I'm pretty, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. She's getting used to this now. Well, that's kind of like that's kind of been her. Lot in life, right? It's mm-hmm. it's like why do you get these attention by like the why did my dad do this? Why did why did this that like she's always just rationalized it. It's like, well, I don't know, I'm pretty, I guess, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess that's why all these fucking loser men are slobbering over me. Mm-hmm. That are like, and what am I gonna do about it? Something, probably. Something, I, don't I don't know. I'll figure something out. I always do. The, so these these experts. Are, are now going to our uh, same university, by the way. Yeah, UCLA. UCLA, yeah. Same department in a way. It's all psychology, except for they are parapsychology. Mm-hmm. And now, by the time they see absolutely uh, uh, unrefutable proof or unrefutable evidence, because they see they say that overnight. There's lightning. They take photos. They take it to the head of their department. She says this could be a lot of things, but. They've warranted full fucking immersion, right? Like, so they have like 30 people at the fucking house now and they're trying to capture as much of this as mm-hmm. they can as proof. Because Dr. Cooley even says to the two parapsychologists under her care, saying like, yeah, yeah, you're seeing, you're, you're getting cold spots. Oh, sorry. Yeah, things are shaking and there's a foul smell. It could be a dead cat and tremors because she needs to prove these things and she says you know if it warrants it we'll throw every expense at it so get me some proof to begin with dr cooley by the way is based on the very very real dr thalma moss who did work at ucla in parapsychology and the two parapsychologists who aren't too bumbling like they're very likable and they're not as bumbling as the people you'd see in like more contemporary horror films and insidious is that's the one i'm thinking of yeah yeah they seem to be really clones of that but far more bumbling and not really care or not very good at what they do or something like that relying on their gear too much Mm -hmm. maybe that's part of the problem but yeah they're based on the very real uh, barry taft and carrie gainer and back then they were just like this with groups of 30 students in the house um, Dr. Moss only came to visit once apparently, but did observe phenomena and they were there taking pictures of very, very famous photos of the lights in the room over Doris Byther, 
taken by Barry Taff and it's on Barry Taff's website. And there's a couple, many websites. If you just Wikipedia or if you just Google image Doris Byther, you'll definitely see the original photos of the original phenomena and a bunch of other photos too, because it's a very widely documented case. Fun fact, my grandmother was contacted by parapsychology at likely UCLA. I didn't see the letter, but it was there when I was a little kid because they wanted to um, document her psychic abilities. Really? That's what they did. They also did remote viewing in this office as well. Cool. Yeah. Dr. Moss is the girl most famous for developing Curlian photography. You ever see those weird multicolored tie-dye looking photos of people's hands where you can see what is reputed to be like the aura and you can take like a photo of a leaf under Curlian photography and you can cut the leaf in half but when you re-photograph it the whole leaf is shown Hmm. very strange interesting stuff I don't know a hell of a lot about but she is or was one of the leading thinkers in parapsychology very very fascinating woman with a fascinating career and to have her hands in things like remote viewing the entity case some of the bigger cases mm-hmm. dr taff said they had something like four thousand cases through that office most of which of course were hoaxes but some of the big big ones came through there and all the fun like mentoring candidate stuff that we get to play with in fiction nowadays right yeah yeah absolutely um mk Alter and remote viewing are super fun to me too just as fun as red ghosts right so at this point, when they have all this evidence stacked together, orbs, all kinds of stuff, right? Um, uh, Carla is now almost emboldened because the entity has shown a diminished amount of power. It's shown that it's not able to reach them for some reason. I don't know if it's because there's too many people there. I don't know if it's trying to lull them into a false sense of security. Because other people believe her, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's lost a little bit of its power. Mm-hmm. It's like a reverse Tinkerbell. They're getting closer to be able to call it by name. Maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be fucking scary for it, for sure. But Reverse Tinkerbell. <laughs> it's like the more you believe in it, the weaker it gets as opposed to... Yeah. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Tinkerbell. Anyway, the... It's just cute because like you were laughing at me earlier for knowing the name of West Mantooth's mother, let alone the name <laughs> West Mantooth, and you know... Probably more than I ever could about Tinkerbell. <clears throat> that was a big part of it. You're supposed to clap so Tinkerbell gets better. Okay. I don't know. Sure. When she's hurt, you can, it's like, guys, you got to believe in Tinkerbell. You got to clap, clap, clap. You got to clap your hands really, really hard. You got to clap louder so Tinkerbell comes back to life. Maybe I haven't watched enough Peter Pan. Or any. Jesus. <laughs> I guess so. <clears throat> it could be a lot to do with all of the people in the house. Because... She's just emboldened and feels safer, maybe. Uh, it's hard to say what it was exactly preying upon. It's, 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 it is difficult. Her fear, perhaps, that would be an easy explanation. And particularly when we get to the end of the film, which is coming up. This movie, by the way, is pretty chunky sit. You're in for like two, two hours, five minutes. So, um, Yeah, I'm usually like an 88-minute kind of girl. But. Yeah, but I mean, this movie, there's a lot to talk about. And we don't even get to like the the, the, the paranormal dudes. So like over an hour into the movie. Yeah, it's almost like a totally different movie too at that point too. Um, so she's got this house full of people. Her psychologist pops by for whatever reason. Oh, probably because he has hots for her. Yeah. And he's taken aback by all these students in the house. Like what the hell's going on? 
And she's like, they're going to help me. And we're going to capture it. We're going to get proof. And he is convinced that this is just all crazy making. Mm -hmm. That all of this is just taking away from the work that they were doing to get to the root of this and help her heal herself. Mm -hmm. And she is very pissed off with him for accusing him her of wanting to fuck her son. Mm -hmm. Can't blame her. And basically orders him out. Yeah, basically. He he's definitely thinking that these people are not helping her and that they're just gonna like feed into her delusions. Even tries to tell her son is like the next time your mother does this type of stuff, don't believe her. Yeah, don't lie. Don't, don't lie. lie. Don't believe her. And her son is like, I didn't break my hand with lies. Like Yeah. This is actually happening. And the doctor just won't hear any of it and just says, No, don't entertain her. Just don't. Yeah. And so at this point, it's it's interesting that the person that started out in this film is like, oh, he's probably going to help her. Uh, and, and in the end, he does help her in a, in a more uh, literal way. But now is coming across as almost a villain in this film because we don't want him distracting from them proving that this stuff actually is happening. But it's funny because it's not like these dudes really have a fucking solution. They really just want to prove that it's happening. More so than, and then we're going to stop it. It's not about that, really. Not at first. No. It's about collecting evidence. And then they have, towards the end, like a really fucking Ghostbusters type fucking solution for this thing, which is kind of funny to me. It's kind of awesome to me, uh, especially because it was, by this point in the real case, Frank DiFolito was in on the action. He was talking with Doris. He was writing the book. He was working with a psychologist, working with a parapsychologist. And he said to Dr. Taff, if you had all the resources and all the backing of UCLA and you could do absolutely anything at this point, what would you have done? And he described this sort of like ghost trap scenario, which is fantastic. And it is very Ghostbusters. And it's right out of science fiction. Mm -hmm. And it puts this into like a supernatural science fiction thriller, right? Mm-hmm. Um where before that it was living strictly in terror and horror. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of like fantastical, but it is fantastical because it's the fictional part of the story. Mm-hmm. At this point in the real story, it was like, well, yeah, you're getting attacked by a rape ghost. And she's like, well, what do I do? And they're like, we don't know. What do you want to do? And she's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll just like try and live my life. Mm-hmm. When all of these people are, are about to clear out of her house, her fucking boyfriend shows up again. Just breezes on in with a bottle of wine. Yeah. And gives her a nightgown. He's like, I want you to wear this for me. It's my homecoming. She tries to explain why all those people were there. She explains that she's having nightmares and is first, tr- he, when he's getting the sense that someone really did attack her, he's becoming enraged at yeah. the idea. But then she, almost to calm him down or derail it, she implies that it's only dreams or she can't sleep because of it. Yeah. And then he is like, oh, I'm fine. I know why you can't sleep, baby. I know why you can't sleep. And then he says, you know, I won't let anything happen to you. You're safe with me. I won't leave you. We're going to be fine. We can get through this together. Doing his manly man duty of comforting his 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 good lady girlfriend, and then when he asked her to go change into this nightgown, yeah, for his homecoming, 
he comes into the bat he comes into the bedroom and she is there stripped naked pinned to the bed this thing fondling her breasts and she is begging for help yeah over and over almost in tune with this horrible soundtrack that we've grown so accustomed to now it's being taken over with her barely able to articulate help me help me help she's me so scared this thing is touching her and he is just dumbfounded has no idea what the fuck's going on he sits he almost like sits down next to the bed to try to what's happening just wrap his head around like wrap it, and he gets thrown from the bed and then he has this big burst of rage of like get off of her and grabs a chair smashes the chair down onto nothing and the chair breaks which is crazy and it doesn't last long enough to really have the proper impact that that effect needs no. to have at that point her, her uh, son has busted in and he's getting pretty used to her his mom being in duress but sees an, sees an actual man in the room and i think that his mind just sort of decides oh this time there's a man in the room i'm gonna give him what for yeah and also that he, from his perspective he just saw this dude like break a chair over his mother maybe yeah which is just a really crazy scene um, but us as a viewer can keep it all sorted in our minds because we're privy to all of the things going on in this scene, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's really an incredible moment in mm-hmm. this movie. Um, unfortunately, it is the moment of the man's undoing because her boyfriend can't handle this shit. He can't handle he it. He just got there and he can't handle this shit. It's crazy to me and it's so fucking sad and so infuriating because the way that he's talking is he, he's like, I was there and there was someone. And then uh, the, the, the Dr. Phil is trying to explain to him, you know, this is a shared psychosis. This didn't really happen. It's what you thought happened. And he's like, it happened. And he's already talking about it's fucking sad. He's talking. Um, he's talking about her like he's she's damaged goods or something. Yeah. It's yeah. like I saw this thing touching her breasts and. I couldn't see the hands and he's like, I was, I loved her in the past tense. You know, I was going to marry her, you know, in the past tense. What? Because like this, this, this thing violates this woman and what now no more. Like that's crazy. That's fucking super crazy. That's sick to me. And it makes, it makes me hate this character all the more. I don't need any fucking reason to hate this fucking guy, but like, uh, but this is just like unforgivable, just fucking horrible, He's been in town all of two hours. He's just met this entity for all of a few minutes, and he's already given up on her. That's disgusting. Yeah, and and he's just like, I'm I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving this woman that I claimed I loved that I was going to marry. But, oh, something seriously wrong is happening to her with something that you can't explain. And she's being uh, sexually assaulted. And so, and you know, just like focusing on the fact that like this thing was touching her and Oh, it's one thing to not want to have somebody else be shared with anyone sexually. That's totally noble. But the fact that it's violation and against her will entirely and a supernatural event, it's just like, give me a fucking break, buddy. Yeah, I know. And What she needs is you in that room helping her. And that was the saddest part is like who comes is like her kids are in the room with her. And like the fucking uh, parapsychologist. parapsychologist. Yeah. And even Phil's like, what are you guys doing there? Because he's already had like this fucking conversation with Dr. Weber, that stupid old fuck that like was, you know, leering at every fucking college girl while he's trying to tell him that like these guys are just like part of the university, but they're practically snake oil salesmen and you can't really do anything. And while he's having this conversation, it's something I've seen this movie a good handful of times and I just finally noticed it. Yet another example of an old guy chauvinist pig 
while he's having this conversation with Dr. Snyderman, he's his what do you call that? Like rubbernecking yeah. women just leering through at the them. campus and really creepy leering. Like and, and and I'm not just like, you know, it's not like the eye close like dart and like, oh you see a cute girl and or it's the like peripherals, man. Look at that. No, he's like fucking like looking as he's talking half distracted like it's fucking gross i'm wondering is this acting was this was he told to do this or is this this guy's natural state of being walking through a campus because if he's an actor maybe he doesn't spend a lot of time on a college campus maybe i don't don't know know. it's just really weird yeah it was really weird to notice and another like unsettling thing about these men in this film giving us definitions of what real men are supposed to do which is completely fucking fucked up and falls apart like a house of cards yeah right all within the same film like yeah it's a really great social commentary so strange that it's based on a true story this is not all just from mr defolita yeah but i but and and i'm wondering if he was deliberately hinging on some of those examples yeah were, were you deliberately trying to show like what happens to a woman that's sexually assaulted what are men's perspective on this? Is this person that you're with doesn't want to be with you anymore? Mm-hmm. Like that's fucking crazy to me, and it's heartbreaking, and it makes us so sad. And 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 the fact that like Doctor uh, Snyderman or whatever the fuck is like, what are you guys doing here? As like we're friends, we're visiting her. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like he's he's like you guys are trying to like bamboozle her. That's the thing. I'm just like. They're not making a buck off this. Like, like it's like what are they? They trying to like prove that like they're going to go like do the talk show circuits and and whatever the fuck to get rich off this woman's case and not actually help her. I guess, but like they've never really demonstrated that that's what they're doing or saying. No, and if anything, it's a boon to Doctor Phil because he needs that to be proven right or wrong because she needs it to be proven right or wrong, and it will do nothing but help his cause if it is wrong if there's no entity it is all in her head then she needs to turn to him and she probably fucking won't now because he's proved himself to be a complete dick oh and she could barely stand the sight of him these days no and and it's so sad them all standing in that room with her and like her fucking boyfriend that just oh here's my homecoming and and the the fucking scene we just saw was him reassuring her i'm here for you i won't let anything happen to you and and now he's fucking gone. It's just as bad as having a nice tender moment where she's alone getting ready for a shower, which should be the most happiest private moment in anyone's life and getting raped moments later. It's these things bookended yeah. back to back, having that reassurance and love and respect and yeah. security butted right up against him being able to not able to handle this, him walking away from her, him abandoning her, him thinking she's a broken, sullied thing. Not even fucking having the balls to talk to her. Yeah. To say goodbye. That's fucked. That's it's totally fucked up. Fucked. He's like, I can't be in there. I can't go in there. It's like, far more fucked than they even make it out in the film, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, like, and I don't know what, like, I don't know if this would have been shocking for 1981 or 83 or whatever. I, I just think that um, for nowadays, it's just fucking, it hits you like a truck. It does. It really does. And then to, that his speech there in the hallway with Dr. Fell while she's in the hospital room is taken from police transcript. Those are things that her, that at that moment, ex-boyfriend had to say. That's just monstrous. I know, it's monstrous. Um, this is where she also just gives up. She gives the fuck up. Not in the bad way. In kind of a good way, where mm-hmm. it's like, you know what? I'm just going to have to roll with the punches here. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's, like, 
they uh, dr cooley and 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 the her colleagues have a big fucking idea uh and they need her consent on it because it's going to be dangerous and what they decide to do and this was the fabricated aspect of the thing uh where um the author of this book asked them what would have been like if you had unlimited resources and the university's full backing what would you have tried to do ghostbusters Ghost trap. Ghost trap. And it's not just a ghost trap. It's not like, you know, you could make the Ghostbusters ghost trap out of a couple caution signs and whatever the fuck they used to make little tiny ghost trap and cross the beams and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not supposed to do that. Oh, yeah. Whatever. And they build an entire replica of her house. Yeah. In a stadium. In In a stadium. Or in a gymnasium. Yeah, they do. And... It, for all intents and purposes, looks just like your place with a few subtle differences. So this is what their plan is. They have liquid helium at their disposal. Uh, and what that does is flash freeze things. And they have enough evidence from the descriptions, from the ex-boyfriend descriptions of her. This thing has mass. It has. They can't see it, but it can interact with things and they can interact with it. It can interact things that leaves bruises on her. They can smash a chair over its back. So they know it is there even if they can't see it. In real life, um, they had they know that it's like a man. And they've had descriptions of the three beings. But they've sort of seen it showing up in this green jello-like mist electric look thing i don't know how to describe it because i didn't Mm -hmm. see it right so it's like this ball of light thing Mm -hmm. so they know sort of vaguely features have sort of emerged from this weird misty sparkly electric light shit that shows up in her room at one point and there's a point in the film where they're showing these electric like sparks that are sort of taking the shape of a man so they know that it's like man shaped Mm-hmm. How to arrest it in real time so they can see and prove that it actually exists mm-hmm. as a true entity and not just, well, I don't even know how to describe something that's not there. I don't know, except for the fact that they seem to think that if it obeys some laws of physics, it should be affected by this liquid helium. Yeah, this will freeze absolutely everything on a molecular level. Mm-hmm. Then if this thing has any sort of substance, it should also freeze. Mm -hmm. So their plan is that they're going to get into this place and there's a safe zone within this house that just shuts closed and then they just flood the entire area with helium, liquid helium, and freeze this thing. To what end? I don't know. Trap it maybe indefinitely. We're not sure. Like Han Solo? Kind of. Yeah. I think, I guess they're going to do the same thing they did when they were demonstrating what liquid helium does with the rose. Dip it in liquid helium and then just crush it. Which mm. I guess is what she'd like to see happen to this fucking ghost at this point. To freeze the fucking thing and then hit it with a hammer. Mm-hmm. Dr. Phil gets wind of this and is not fucking happy because it is dangerous. You go to this house replica in this gym and there's all this these fucking massive uh, cylindrical tubes of helium just waiting to go and he thinks that it's dangerous that they're putting her life at risk well they kind of are they are putting her life at risk but they think it's for a very good reason he comes there to beg her to come with him and that's when he kind of implies that he's got a thing for her yeah basically like you need to have a link to somebody who cares about you very very much and 
I can be that link. And she's just like, no. Yeah. And I can like, it's part of like, it's, is he hitting on her? Is that what he's doing? And I would like, like, I think like not overtly, He's just not, I got an NT for you, baby. He's not doing that. No, yeah. But he is. He's kind of damsel and distressy, sort of. He's 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 trying to say that I am here to help you, and I'm probably the only one that actually wants to help you. And I care about you very, 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 very much. Very, very much. It's cute. Yeah, Wes is winking at the microphone there because he cares about you very much. Yeah. But she turns him down, basically, and says, you know what? Uh, instead of living like I've been living, I'd rather die. So, see yeah. you later. She has had several moments in this film where she has one of her her solutions when she was brought to climax against her will and she was at her lowest point, you could argue, was that she was just going to relent. Let this thing do whatever. Repeatedly. Yeah. And just not resist it. Which, if we know the true story, that is what Doris Byther ultimately had to do. There was nothing she could do. Mm-hmm. It was that, or it's either suicide or let this ghost rape you from time to time. Yeah. This time, she wants to do whatever that it could take. And even at the risk of her own life, if this could possibly stop it, she wants to take that risk. And so she agrees, and he gets fucking ousted. Now... This culminates into the night that um, shit starts going down, which is very shortly. Like, this thing does not hesitate. And it's interesting because you'd almost think that it has an intelligence to it and that it wouldn't want to be discovered. So I would almost assume that, like, when you're trying to get people, look, look, see what's happening, it wouldn't do anything. Yeah, like, ghosts are supposed to behave like that. It's supposed to be, like, once you've got all the cameras set out that the ghosts don't come, right? Yeah. When you're hitting record on the tape recorder, it's not going to talk. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's like, okay, is everyone watching? And now I'm going to take control of the entire room. That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Just to show you I am not to be fucked with because I am Danzig. He is. Um, just fucking up there singing mother, but Pretty much <laughs> killing drummers left, right and center. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Now, Dr. Weber, our old curmudgeonly fuck face and uh patriarch of Dr. Phil's bullshit fucking branch of psychology, um, has decided to descend on this place like a fucking plague of locusts. And as is Dr. Phil, their attitude is like, if you want to be here, Go up in the control go, go booth like everybody control else. control booth and, yeah. like, watch. Yeah. And I think that things start out, and it couldn't have gone any worse for them because this thing was supposed to be relatively safe because the, the, the helium cannot be enacted unless the safe zone has been activated, which is a protective glass area. Yeah, so, and it makes sense. She's, they've got the replica of the house. She hangs out in the house like she normally would. The ghost seems to attack whenever the fuck it wants. Wherever she is, it doesn't matter. So it shouldn't really matter here. It's about making her feel pretty comfortable, right? So she's supposed to just kind of chill out until it starts to get at her. Then she runs into the safe zone. The glass, the double-paned glass sliding door encapsulation thing that would keep her safe from the helium would close and then they would just douse the place and capture the ghost right Mm -hmm. makes sense to me my only fear is that she'd get captured in the safe zone within the the ghost with the ghost and it's a pretty big area too so it's not um yeah but when this when she starts getting wind of a little problem as she's rolling her eyes right now is because they're inside a gymnasium and like wind starts blowing through her bedroom her fake bedroom window yeah that's how we all know 
that the entity is there. It's true. Now, what the entity has actually done, uh, uh, unbeknownst to anyone, uh, but soon to be announced, is that <laughs> is that it is taking control of the mechanisms. Yeah. So the failsafe is not working, and they're telling her get to the safe zone, get to the safe zone. Everything's going according to plan until they realize they don't have control of the instruments. Yeah, then the liquid helium gun, because they've got it attached to a great big spray nozzle, starts moving by itself. Mm. And one technician turns to the other and says, you're not supposed to be moving it yet. Just wait until she's in the safe zone. He's like, I'm not moving it. It's all being tripped, mm -hmm. which sucks. Yeah, especially since she's taking her sweet ass fucking time to get there. Yeah, because they're saying... Get to the safe zone. They just say it like five times. What they should have been saying so that it sounds like she's obeying them is slowly contemplate making your way as slow as you possibly can through a Dario Argento film toward <laughs> the general vicinity or perhaps directly away from the safe zone. It's all fucking Suspiria. No, uh, it's funny because what they should also they should have probably added, I want you to go to the safe zone and get out of bed. On the fifth time, we've told you to do that. Yeah, right. So she eventually does start going, and she's running from this thing. Now, initially, there's no roof in this replica except for in the bathroom, so she has privacy. Yeah. Um. So that's her one place to hide because this thing is fucking tracking her all over the place. It is not going down the way that they thought that it would at all. And it smashes through the ceiling. It's like a yeah, very... she runs into the bathroom to try and get away from yeah. it at one point because it's blocking her from going to the safe zone and it smashes through that ceiling, which is like crazy. This is almost as crazy as when the android is chasing the girl in hardware. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar, especially with the lighting. Yeah, yeah, it really is. That's exactly what reminds me of hardware. And the fact that she's like all that cold when she's hiding in the fridge in hardware and all that mist and stuff, like it's very, very similar and just as scary. Dr. Phil has had enough. And when she gets into the safe zone, he's already heading down. Now, this thing has been blowing healing everywhere. And we see that it's having a very bad effect on like everything around it. It's destroying things. It's, it's flash freezing things, smashing dolls, whatever the fuck. The glass in and around her fucking safe zone gets broken. Yeah, because I'm sure they didn't plan to be dousing it with liquid helium. I think the idea, of course, was that's the safe zone. We're not going to spray liquid helium all over mm. it or they're underestimating the strength of this thing because maybe it's an un otherworldly force that uh, uh, that is smashing this double pane glass pretty strong but if you're dealing with a demon nah. and if you're blasting it with a shit ton of liquid helium to yeah freeze it. it will shatter anything yeah so that's exactly what happens phil uh tries to pull her out of there it's crazy because a lot of this like as the fucking helium canisters start to burst I feel like a lot of that helium, liquid helium, is going so closer. It's impossible to me that they didn't get wet or sprayed by any of that. It almost looks like the overhead sprinkler system was triggered too, which just doubly confuses it. But mm -hmm. I swear there are parts where they would have been being splashed by this liquid helium for sure. But, but what ends up happening is that this entire thing erupts and it becomes this giant fucking tower of ice. Like picture an iceberg in the middle of a wrecked up gymnasium with the remnants of a destroyed house laying around it. Yeah. And sure enough, they capture this entity and they see it. Dr. Weber sees it. Phil sees it. Fucking all the, 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 the paranormal dudes see it. Like a typical demon in ice. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't get like a clear look at it, but you can see something is trying to break out of it. And eventually it does. 
Because it's like a fucking Danzig Chuck Norris hybrid demon. It might as well be. Because holy fuck, does it just break all the ice around it? And that's how the ice formed. Like, Danzig Chuck Norris scared the water so bad that it turned to ice. The most uh, demonstrating scene of how much I fucking hate Dr. Weber is the fact that Dr. Cooley says to him, well, you've seen it. You saw it. We have a witness. It's not like before. We have a witness. And Dr. Weber basically says, I've, I've seen a lot of things. There's a lot of things that were happening. Uh, could have been anything. Could have, could have been anything. Like he, yeah. he knows what he saw, but he won't admit what he saw. And he certainly will not corroborate anything that they say. Which is so fucking horrible. Especially, you know, that's campus politics too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really disturbing. Let alone the fact that this poor woman's psyche hangs in the fucking balance. Once we're out of this gym, it's Carol going back into her old house. It's now empty. It looks like everyone moved out. That's because everything's in the fake house. That's what it was. I was like, why is everything out of the house? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they took all of her own belongings to make this replica. They, they spared no expense. They and they destroyed it. They, they destroyed, destroyed it. all of her so personal now she's belongings. she's got nothing. She's got nothing. But she walks through the house and all of a sudden, shit gets a little dark. Mm-hmm. And we hear a voice. Do you, did you hear what the voice said? Yes. It's a, a quite famous line, actually. The only line this ghost has. It says, welcome home, cunt. The door closes shut, and then she opens it again, and Cindy is up there with her kids. And they're all just happy to see her, and... She welcomes them home. She welcomes them home. Yeah. And that's it. And then there's a bit of a crawl at the end, explaining that she moved from there to Texas for a while, and the attacks have decreased in severity, but continue to happen. Which is, aside from the ghost trap, and the replica of her house getting destroyed in a UCLA gymnasium, aside from that small fictionalized but very effective and kind of cool sci-fi moment in this movie aside from that that's how it happened they had all these pictures all these evidence there's some sort of entity that was attacking her and all she could do is relent you know because like i said it was either kill herself or let it rape her there was nothing she could do no priest worked no parapsychology worked there's nothing there's no solution to that what do you do you put a rosary on your neck, it would probably just use it to strangle you while it raped you. Like, mm. the, nothing that she could do. Now, it wasn't proven with today's psychological techniques or parapsychological techniques. There was no taps on the case to use today's instruments. Because with this case, the ambient radioactivity would be drained from the room when this entity was present. They couldn't record the change in temperature everyone in the room would be shivering and they could all see their breath but temperature gauges wouldn't be affected so it was really you know there was a lot of evidence there was a lot of photographic evidence there was a lot of photographic evidence and eyewitness reports and stuff like that but there was no way to stop it Mm -hmm. yeah so just crazy she died in uh, 1999 doris by the girl that this was based off from sudden multiple organ failure could have been for many reasons. Apparently, she was a heavy drinker. Mm-hmm. And who wouldn't be? Yeah. At this point. Um, but yeah, multiple sudden organ failure. I think she was 56 when she mm-hmm. died. Sad stuff. Her yeah. son's been interviewed a few times. And like I said, this Xavier Ortega book will be coming out hopefully eventually because I'm just dying to read it like many people who are big fans of this case. Whether they're fans of the film or not, doesn't really matter. 
I don't think uh, the case itself is fascinating. But uh, yeah, a really enjoyable horror film, a really undersung gem of ghost horror, paranormal horror, and social commentary on rape and domestic violence. Very, very fascinating film and a great example of a super strong female lead who unfortunately at the end just has to kind of relent. Mm -hmm. Kind of a unique twist. I'd say a unique twist in horror fiction, but it's not fictional, Mm -hmm. which makes it even more compelling, I think. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So in the 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 the, the modern parlance, films get remade. This has been in the chopping block for a remake over a decade. For a decade, yeah. and you've been following it that long because <laughs> yeah. I'm. I would love to see it remade, but I. It's not like the holier than holy, but it feels like it shouldn't ever be remade. I had uh, offered today that it should be remastered. Yeah, I would love to see an Arrow or a, a, a Shout Factory uh, release of this, get some new art, like interview people and maybe a new documentary. About... A new documentary would be fucking awesome. Yeah, and you know they would too. I like, talked they... to Xavier Ortega. Like, yeah. I'm sure he wouldn't mind a camera in his face. I know I wouldn't mind more information on the original case, let alone if everything exists, if everything's in place to get this a really proper remaster i would love that yeah i definitely pick it up it's a wonderful film the darks are a little too dark in the dark scenes but everything is filmed very well it's acted impeccably it's written wonderfully uh even the little effects that exist could be boosted a little but they don't need much change they really really don't it suits what it needs it was originally like there's been a new script rewritten which i don't think it really needs um by the guys that wrote the conjuring Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I can hardly tell. It was supposed to be directed by James Wan and mm-hmm. released this year, which to me, that's sort of a bad thing because I worry that he's going to just PGify it and it doesn't need to be toned down. I wouldn't mind seeing some things almost amped up just to really hit home through some of our like, you know, 60 second news cycle brains. So that this has the impact that it had in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But not to be, like, not to turn exploitative, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it needs some fine tuning. The depth hand to handle the subject material respectfully. Yeah. And also uh, deliver a compelling film. It was originally in 2004 rumored to be remade by Hideo Nakata. Mm-hmm. Of yep. the ring, which yep. would be fucking amazing. I would love to have seen that treatment. It would be quite fascinating. I think that that would have been a good hand to be doing it by virtue of the fact that our, our friends who make Japanese horror understand that sometimes less is more. I feel like there would be, even though the entity attacks are quite numerous in this film, I think that this is a two and a half hour movie. And if you were to 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 attach all of the paranormal ghosty parts in it together, you probably have about like fifteen minutes. Yeah, and there's like I said, three different flavors of rape in this. And yeah, well, not even just the word rape, but orbs and and electricity oh, all and, and, and all too, that kind yeah. of stuff. So what I'm saying is, is is I feel like if this movie were released now as a remake, I would give it a runtime of about ninety minutes and a lot of. I think that the paranormal people will be introduced a lot earlier. And I think the subplot of the psychologist 
uh, trying to undermine them would be removed almost entirely. Uh, th- like that's just like kind of how like I feel like how would this be modernly interpreted? It would as be fictional because you fictional. have to like even yeah. more fictionalize it. Yeah. If you had someone attached that didn't wasn't interested in fictionalizing it, then you wouldn't be able to move stuff around like that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, but yeah, to further fictionalize it, yeah, tighten it up a little bit and make the scenes where she's in pain and being tortured and being raped a little more intense unfortunately that sounds like i'm taking away from the original entity which i'm not it is fucking intense it really truly is but i'm not sure if they could capture that they would need the right actress the right score the right everything and this was like ghosty lightning in a bottle as it were it was and and i don't know if you could really give this role and anyone doing it as much justice as uh, Barbara Hershey did, I don't. I I can't think of a single actor that I would trust because it's done so impeccably here. Yeah, it's it's hard. I understand the need to want to remake things. I get it. I do too, and I would love to see this position for a modern audience because mm-hmm. the story is like irreplaceable, and it's you know it's tough sometimes to rehash something over and over. A re-release would do a lot of that job, yeah. Mm-hmm. But to have it in theaters again is a, another story altogether. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More interesting than having I Spit on Your Grave back in theaters as a remake, I think, as far as social commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Regarding remakes, we did have a question from Thomas that was sort of tying right into this. Is there a remake that we'd like to see or is there a remake that is an untouchable? And I sometimes think of the entity as both of those things. It is untouchable to me because it's so perfect as it is. Why bother remaking it when it's so well done and it would be just impossible to remake? On the other hand, it would. there's many things that would be served from a remake. Mostly just for other people's benefit. The movie itself doesn't need it. A movie that I really want to see remade, and I always have wanted to see remade for some dumb reason, is uh, Devil Times 5. I want to see those kids go right crazy, though. Crazier, (laughs) kill way more people. Yeah. Really? Yeah, something to be exploitative and brutalized and made like just a horrible horror film. Mm -hmm. Doesn't need any social commentary. Take Devil Times 5 and make it super insane. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, in terms of what I think is untouchable film, I'm I'm kind of of two minds about it because on the one hand, I was sitting there trying to think of just what movie do I think should not be remade, and then I think to myself, oh, they remade that, oh, they remade that, and we would always be thinking about like the biggies in horror, the the message movies, the ones that um really defined the genre for all time, and. Sometimes a lot of those films, what people don't understand is that the reason why they worked so well, the reason why The Exorcist or the reason why Texas Chainsaw or the reason why Night of the Living Dead or even the Universal Classics, the reason why they worked so well is because they spoke to the audiences of the time. Certain films are just fossilized in the era in which they were made, and they'll never be as well-received in a remake in a modern audience. I've heard recent arguments that, for example, The Hills Have Eyes uh, remake spoke um, on the same level as the original, and I think that they, they have the same message, but it's responded to in different ways by the audiences that 
interpreted them and what was the expectation of film in 1970, late 1970s and then what would be an expectation in um, the early 2000s. I think I think the, 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 the Hills Have Eyes remake is quite strong. And it's also responding to that cultural zeitgeist of coming out of Y2K and a lot of people thinking about end times and things yeah, like that. Yeah, end so. times and like we just had 9-11 and like there was this angsty ness uh that like the 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 mutated family we're still responding to cold war there yeah. were um unannounced and unsanctioned bomb testing still going on at that point yeah, so exactly. it did still speak to the audience yeah and in different ways too. yeah in different ways so like that that can kind of work i think that sometimes well biodome wouldn't work so well as a remake right now would it <laughs> no <laughs> but i think that um for me untouchable horror i don't know like I would have to really like look at it and think what works, what doesn't work, because sometimes when things get remade, they're kind of timeless stories that we've kept with us for many, many years, the, all through history of mankind. It's not just uh, like like if you think about like uh, like um, malevolent evil and the shadows coming to get us when we feel the most vulnerable. That story's as old as time. So, so stories that are basically that can be remade. And people will, of course, bristle at that fact. But I guess to sort of answer your question, I don't really know what I would consider un untouchable. I think the stuff is so 80s, it'd be hard to put that into. Yeah. The, like, we don't absorb media the same way anymore. We don't um, We don't consume the same way that we do anymore. So the stuff would have to be so different now. I'm not saying that capitalism and consumerism doesn't exist anymore no it certainly doesn't that sort of feeds into thomas and justin of uh, halloween 3 halloween, halloween 3. 3 where i i i can't disagree or agree i have no real opinion on halloween 3 being remade uh it would be fun to see remade yeah if it was handled correctly i wouldn't complain in any way shape or form but it's a lot about consumerism as yeah, well it is and the law the, the 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 loss of understanding about what halloween used to stand for mm -hmm. right now you could do it like people celebrating Halloween is like sex Christmas, right? Yeah. So it's just like, oh, I don't care about you fucking sexy Bernie Sanders costume. Like, I don't want to deal with that anymore. And you get a pumpkin head and you're going to turn into cockroaches. Like, and so, and, and you could have like a villain that would just be really incensed by modern Halloween. It would still work today. Um, so that could definitely be remade. But it's such a wonderful film. And like, I, I, like to again, lose any of that script would just be sacrilege. Exactly. And the score, there was no way they would keep that. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> they would never keep that. That would change. And and I think part of it is is the, the reason why people bristle so much about remakes is because it's just not going to be the same. Um, I think that the best things to be remade is when you see something where you're where it's either an interpretation of a classic story or just, oh, they could have done better. This is a bad movie that had a good idea. And that's how come, I don't know if listeners know this, but we talked about it when we did The Vampire Lovers. Yeah. Carmilla is one of my favorite stories and hands down my favorite vampire story I've ever read. I love it. I love Carmilla. I think she's an amazing character. I think the vampire lore that was created in that original works is fucking fantastic. The short story, the novella that it is, is fucking amazing. And I just think that, yes, there are undertones of uh, of uh, lesbianism in it. Carmilla is a woman. She is seducing a woman. I get it. 
but the films that were coming out based around this film were hinging too much on that. Yeah. Too much fucking focus There's on it. There's people that love them some vampire porn. Oh, Lesbian yeah. vampire porn. And I'm just not a big fan of it. I wanted a vampire story. I want a girl to be as powerful, if not ten times more powerful than Dracula. And and let me tell you, I recently uh, got through Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'd never read it before. Yeah. And let me tell you, like, I would bet my life savings that Carmilla would kick his ass in and not even like in a straight up fight she would kick his ass she's so much more oh, powerful completely. and and I was like and like that description of of her sleeping in a few inches of blood inside of her casket and I just could envision it so perfectly and the way they described how she fought how she moved how she was there in a blink of an eye supreme strength permanent loss of feeling if she touched you like in an aggressive way and and how she went from and so careful to 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 describe how small she was and how delicate she appeared to be and then changing and being so powerful and fierce and so intelligent like these story elements are fucking amazing and as a, as a writer myself the types of characters especially female characters when i'm writing horror or i'm writing comic books the types of characters that i love that exist in these narratives and no one's done it right people have gotten close by yes telling the story blah 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 but no one has got it right and i would love someone to take carmilla and almost do like a bram stoker's dracula version of it just yeah. super serious big budget as as much as as much care given to the vampire look and activity as you had in the interview with the vampire interview, perfect that's a perfect example interview with the vampire yeah do that something that big both yeah bram stoker's dracula interview both of them blend yeah. them together but make it carmilla and don't make her a fucking you know super seductive like, scantily clad like, eating chicks out left right and center like kind of sex obsessed it's yeah. not necessary and that's not that's not what she was about. And that's not her superpower either. Crawling up, yeah, letting her tits flop out and fucking licking your throat. No, that's not her fucking deal. I, I, I was like this. I, I was like, there's so much to be gained from from that lore. And I think that we've gone to the well enough times with Dracula. For fuck's sake, like they keep making them. Yeah. Dracula told all this other shit. I was like, what's wrong with Carmilla? I was like, the time is right now. Do it now. Even if they did it as well as Dracula Untold. I like that film. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. really cute. Yeah, fine. Like, but like, I'm not saying like Dracula Untold is like, like bad or anything no, like that. No, but it's but I'm just, just saying rehashing it's like, that exact like how many, character. How, how many times can we do another Dracula movie where it's yeah. like, and people were obsessed with this idea of Carmilla for a while, but it was only when they could exploit, when it was the idea of exploiting the sexiness of it. That's what Hammer fucking thought everybody wanted. And sure, maybe for a time, but like... You know, it's just like the time is now. Like, we need a good one now. There's a really good Elizabeth Bathory film yeah. uh, that's not uh, in English yet and doesn't have a North American release that I know of. And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like, it is a very beautiful film if they would treat Carmilla the same. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be super cool. Yeah. Hmm. Remakes suck. <laughs> they can, but also, let's not forget that remakes can draw attention to the originals. And uh, and make them seem so much better by comparison. Make them seem so much uh, and much more indelible. Um, I think that the Texas Chainsaw made me appreciate uh, the the original one a lot better. The Halloween movies like really made me appreciate the original. And I like the Halloween movies. I don't and like Texas Chainsaw like, Massacre. Like I don't. I'm not saying. I that. keep thinking of things like uh, A Tale of Two Sisters versus The Uninvited. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 
But that's like a travesty. It's blasphemy and wrong <laughs> and a waste of money and time. Like that is terrible to me. What a waste of money and time that some remakes can be. Yeah. That's why I still, you know, will sit on the edge of my seat waiting for news of the Entity remake. Because even if it was a really bad treatment of it, I will need to see it. And then it would be, I'd be that in person being like, oh, well, what you need to do is see the original. Yeah. You get your, you, like, I know you and your rage porn. Like, you, like even if it was bad, you're going to fucking watch it twice. Like that podcast <laughs> I couldn't stop listening to that I hated. <laughs> That's still like a cause for mirth and... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what do we got next for him? Pin. We're going to get into some Canadiana. We're going to do Pin and then Eraserhead. Oh, and it's going to get a little weird. It is going to get a little weird. <laughs> Ridiculously weird, but that's fine. We've been into kind of some normal, really well-grounded horror classics, if I can consider Entity a classic, and we came out of Psycho. I agree with that. That is definitely yeah. a horror classic. Yeah, we've gone through some uh, very serious horror film. Pin is no less serious. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a classic movie. A lot of people haven't seen it. It's a great Canadian film, a good psychological film as mm-hmm. well. And then into Eraserhead, which is all psychological. <laughs> all psychological. All psychological. Then we're going to blend the two into Spider-Baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're knocking out a lot of requests. Yeah, All rapid succession. Yeah. I'm excited. I am super excited, especially for the black and whitedness of it all. Mm-hmm. And just like some weird Canadian picks at that. And yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's time. We're going to get pinned down. Yeah. Good good job with the pun. <laughs> and on that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.